The Late Morning Program with Nam Ras Podcast. Hare Krishna, everyone. You're listening to the number one Hare Krishna podcast in the world, the late morning program. This is season two now. We're in the uh, we're in the hundreds now. We're the hundreds now. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah. Thank you to all the listeners. Today is going to be a really cool uh, episode. I got some really dear friends here. Uh, just we'll just go around real quick. Um, so we have, uh, you know, we'll, we'll start. David Madhavar, why don't you start there? So, uh, yeah. Madhavadas here in Iskan Ypsilanti, the Harmony Collective. And uh, always glad for a good excuse to spend time with my friends. So thank you, Nam, for putting this together. Sure. Rasik. Dhanavat Pranam, Hare Krishna, dear friends and devotees. I'm Rasik Mohandas at the Bhaktivandav Ashram in New York that we established in 2020. Jai Jagannath Das from Bhakti Center in New York City, Manhattan. Glad to be on the first episode of a new season because I was the first episode in the old season also. Yes, you are. <laughs> so I'm feeling very special and privileged. Thank you for having me. Wonderful you to be with all you Vaishnavs. Oh, I'm Shringa Das from Godivananda Outreach Center here in Miami. Uh, first time. Long time viewer, first time attendee, so very excited to be here. This for for those of you who don't know, I I've known Nashinga since he was a toddler because his dad <laughs> was the temple president in the temple that I grew up at in New Jersey, Toako. So, and then I didn't reconnect with him until recently. So, uh, a little bit of distance between when when I last saw him, but uh, <laughs> glad you're on uh, Nashinga. Also, thank you everyone for joining. So, Rasik, maybe we can start here. Um, Rasik reached out, reached out to me and said that uh, he had an idea for for a, a conversation or a podcast. So let's let's talk a little bit about what your thought was there. Yeah, I was actually thinking in general of having more discussions with like-minded friends. Not always like-minded, but friends nonetheless. <laughs> and then um as well as seniors and um with an idea of how to positively serve the Hare Krishna movement, uh, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's mission, and our Guru Varga's mission. A lot of interesting topics are there. Uh, we were talking about different issues, uh, what we are thinking about, how the movement will develop positively going forward, and about standards for gurus as well as disciples, and just so many different issues. And I was, you know, inviting Nam Prabhu on, and as well as I was talking to Nishringa Prabhu and Jagannath Prabhu, Dev Prabhu, and then. Um, naturally, um, we just decided to have it here on the number one Hare Krishna podcast in the world. Woo! Woo! So, awesome. um, yeah, just to have uh, open discussions and just the idea of uh, communication is so important in this day and age. Um, we don't need intermediaries anymore to tell us what other people's message is. We can just speak with each other and understand our message very clearly. And so that's part of the inspiration of this, just having friends of different but similar backgrounds and just discussing openly many interesting ideas about how to serve and how to continue in this path. 
I think the interesting thing here is also that we're all friends, but we're also part of different institutions, so to say. Uh, and I think that makes for a great conversation uh, from different viewpoints and, and, and whatnot. So um, <laughs> I know, David Madhubu, you also said that we should talk about the elephant in the room. <laughs> so there's, uh, there's, uh, there's something going on in Ukraine. Somehow everything moved over from Corona to uh, Ukraine, all the media and everything has turned to that. So let's maybe talk a little bit about that. Um, David Madhubu, why don't you start off? Uh, you may, you've been making some interesting uh, Facebook posts regarding some of those things. So why don't we start there? I knew I'd regret that. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, first, I'd just like to extend to all the devotees who are going through that situation, um, whether directly or connected in some secondary or tertiary way, my prayers are with you. Um, it's It's been a reflective time for me, and, and I'm just, I'm, I'm over here comfortable in Michigan, USA. So I, whatever I have, I extend it to those devotees. And um, from what I've heard of devotees on the ground there, they're just, they're living in an exemplary way as, as we would kind of expect them to. When the going gets tough and the devotees turn to Krishna and it's kind of a beautiful thing to see. So there's some poetry there in that. And um, I think of salted bread and the kind of the, the backbone of the yatra over there and, and how those devotees, even when things aren't tough, <laughs> They're still the toughest, roughest, like most solid people in many ways in our movement. So I just I extend that appreciation to them. In terms of this, the circumstance, um, for me, it, it is a kind of sad representation or, or um, sign of how much work we have to do as a movement, whatever particular mutt you're a part of. There's a lot of gaps between where we would like to be and where we are in terms of our social and spiritual impact on our own lives and the lives of the, the people in the world who haven't contacted Krishna yet. And so that's a lot of my own, you could say, frustration with the situation just comes from that lack of vision and leadership, which has been missing for some decades now. And, and situations like COVID, situations like this just kind of remind in a very, it's like salt in the wound that there's a lot of things missing, a lot of things that could be going on that aren't, and it's it's sad. Well, what type of leadership are you looking for? Because, you know, with issues like this that um, impact, like, the empirical environment, which, of course, we live in, the question always comes up for me, how much are we supposed to, especially if you're, like, a leader mm -hmm. of the Hare Christian movement or a leader of the Christian conscious society, how much are you supposed to really be bringing commentary or engagement with that. Um, okay, like, you know, like in 2020, this work of going flying around, which was like really annoying because everyone kept saying about me at one point that your spiritual bypassing, unless you like comment on every single issue that's coming up in the world situation, then it's spiritual bypassing. And then it's like, well, if you offer a comment that's Krishna conscious or like at least for this kind of devotees, if we offer a reply that sounds true, the Prabhupada-esque to us, <laughs> that's spiritual bypassing because you're yeah. not giving a comment that's, you know, empirically relevant. You're giving like this sort of sweeping, if people become more Christian conscious, then it'll all go away sort of statement. And so I, I, get, I get confused about how much, especially a leader, how is he supposed to comment on something like this? 
in the world? Like, what type of leadership are you looking for in a situation like this? Uh, I'll I'll let one of the other Prabhus speak, and and then I'll read something that was written by a very senior devotee that I, it was passed on to me, a very senior dis disciple of Prabhupada, very well established, a lot of integrity to what they believe in in terms of how how things could be going, and their sentiments echo my own in terms of a reply to your question, Jai. So I'm just going to pull that up. I'll let one of the other Prabhus maybe say if something. If I could just jump in for a second. Yeah. I think one thing that's always important is it's not just um, what we communicate, but it's with what feeling, with what move, with what mood, how much love and affection is there. And so I think that is one kind of way to counterbalance you could say speaking the truth as it is, which is sometimes referred to as spiritual bypassing, but with great humanity and compassion, you know, our, our Mahaprabhu, he is the embodiment of incarnation. Our Guru Varga, they are in the embodiment of compassion, compassion. And so to speak with great compassion has to come from deep, sincere love. And, and then we can, as a parent sometimes has to tell the child something they don't want to hear. Ultimately, we are suffering in samsara. Our our Guru Varga, our Padam Guru, they've once said there was a uh, one of the chief ministers of Bengal, and there was a flood, and he was doing bhiksha for Navadvi Parikrama, Padam Guru Dev. He said, "How are you begging from these poor people at this time? Don't you know they just suffered this calamity?" He said, "You're smoking. If the flood had come, the cigarette would have been put out." And so I see that the real flood is coming, and I'm trying to save people from that flood that is coming. And so. Our acharyas are always speaking out of the utmost compassion. And when they are giving us a higher spiritual message that does transcend or bypass material issues, they're doing so to help us escape complete uh, misery and suffering. You don't tell someone they're going to suffer and go to hell because you're talking down to them. You tell them they're going to suffer because you love them. You don't want to see them suffer and burn. And so ultimately, if we maintain steeped in Dehatma Bodhi, that I am this body and too attached to that and different kinds of um, designations of the body, I will suffer as a result. And so they're trying to uplift us. So sadhus have to do both sides. They have to be cutting the attachments of the mind, chindanti, but they also have to, with love and affection, be soothing us and calming us and helping us develop. So that's one thing I, I would just say to conclude also that um, Vaishnavs do comment on issues of the day at different times, but it's time, place, and circumstance and not beholden to have a 24-7 cycle of a news channel. Um, <laughs> every guru, every leader doesn't have to do that. According to their sta station, they may or they may not. But they're here to give us the eternal truth, not a relative truth. That is the work of the world teacher, the Jagad Guru. Uh, a few months ago, there was this big push across the ISKCON world to have protests for the the Hindu violence, the, the Hindu Muslim scene yeah. in India. And in which one of the what yeah, and, and in Bangladesh, thank you. And one of the devotees, or maybe even a few devotees from uh, Iskhan Temple directly passed away because of that violence, which was of course tra tragic. But I found it equally tragic that in my 12 years in the the Hare Krishna movement, the first time I saw a, a global push towards organizing Harinam was basically coming out of these kind of Hindu nationalist sentiments. And I, I expressed that to the leaders who were kind of a part of uh, putting that together. And I, and I called it out. I said, I wouldn't mind that this was happening, except that it hasn't happened in the last 12 years and we're the Hare Krishna movement. There ha this, is, this is our offering. 
this is what we're supposed to be bringing that we, we don't bring anymore. And this devotee's quote, I think, speaks to that. <clears throat> he says, when a spiritual organization has lost its revolutionary edge, when it's preoccupied with looking normal, its spokespersons sound mediocre, irrelevant, and churchy. Just like the pastors, ministers, rabbis, and feckless spiritual authorities we all ran away from to find shelter at Srila Prabhupada's lotus feet. I think it's a question also of um, how much faith people have, like how much faith we're going to put in uh, the, spiritu the spiritual practice and the society and just Krishna consciousness in general and how much faith we have in our normal like society and news or whatever it is. So it's like there's so, such a spectrum of devotees, right? The, yes. How much faith we have in things. just wanted to add that. So I want to comment on Jai Jagannath's point also uh, from the Miami perspective, por que no los dos? Why can't, why can't both things be brought up at the same time? So there can be addressing material things, uh, like uh, Rasik Mambrabu was mentioning with some compassion. If someone, you know, you're, you have a bear who's stuck in a bear trap and they can't see any future because they're stuck in this trap, right? So to just say, well, you could be a human birth and then you have opportunity for many more opportunities, right? It, it doesn't make sense to them. So you have to speak to people according to where they're at. If someone has bombs rained down on their city, then to say, well, the solution is certainly that you have to be completely and totally fearless to go in the streets and arena. If they don't have that nishta developed, then actually we're going to erode the shraddha that they're trying to develop into nishta because they say, you don't see me as a person right? Because they're still in that stage. So I think both have to be addressed. And this is, I think, coming to the, even this topic of Guru Tattva that we're going to eventually discuss. Uh, Gorgamindu Goswami Maharaj would always say that if you don't have Krishna, you can't give Krishna. So if those who are taking responsibility in leadership roles, whether as guru or not, if they don't have their own situation put together in their bhajan, in their sadhan, if they're not developing from nishta into ruchi into ashakti, if they're actually not going through that process themselves, what do they have to say to people that can actually change their hearts? So it's paramount that those personalities have to step up to the plate in their own private practice, who they are mm. in relationship to their bhajan and the relationship to their group. For me, I think that's kind of been part of the issue with me with this spiritual bypassing. I know the way that we normally hear it, at least the way I was hearing it in 2020, was that we were bypassing empirical issues because we were so-called preoccupied with the transcendence. But there's another way of looking at it that you're just actually bypassing the spiritual. <laughs> you're bypassing the part that's also like the most essential and important part and which is kind of the critique that most Hare Krishnas would give to the material world. They're bypassing the spiritual by being preoccupied with the empirical. And just to your point, like how many of us have, and you know, using this basic language, how many of us got like our own house together, you know? And when, when everyone's bringing up like world issues or social issues, this issue, the other issue, I'm like, sweetie, my laundry's been dirty for two and a half weeks. I can't even like, clean that part like the place that i got complete sovereignty over is out of control and now i'm supposed to like extend my energy to this issue and then by the time i'm invested in this issue another issue comes up and then another one and another one and then it becomes like it it, it feels to me at least that it becomes like a convenient scapegoat from the responsibility that i'm neglecting to my own development 
<clears throat> and so it's it's hard for me to understand how like I feel for what's going on in um Ukraine, for example, or the various issues that come up. I'm obviously got strong opinions about it. <laughs> but the the question is how does compassion how do you translate compassion into practical action? You know, you know, and it seems to me that a lot of the practical action is gonna have to be largely you know, if you're, you're, what do you call it? The realm of influence versus the realm of concern. The realm of influence is going to be very small. And it seems like a lot of us, either individually or collectively in our institutions, we've neglected the realm of like influence where we have a lot of sovereignty over and we're getting preoccupied with the realm of concern. And, and it seems like we're going to become losers in both departments because the realm of concern you can't really do much in, and the realm of influence you're just neglecting because you're concerned about this thing. So for me, it's like, a, how, does, how do you translate compassion, spiritual or otherwise, into meaningful, impacting action? That's not just something that you can just virtue signal on the internet and everyone can say, wow, bravo, bravo, until the next round of issues come up that you can say, look, I'm concerned about this and everyone claps for that. So for me, that's kind of been the issue around that, this sort of stuff. And the, the skipping steps dynamic, I think is what's going on is that right. until like when we think about Prabhupada's especially synthesis of how the Hare Krishna movement will create influence on the planet, it, it's through Brahminical presence. And Brahminical presence, when we read the Bhagavatam, does not look like the kind of active social engagement that most people perceive as being influential uh, within the political and social sphere. It's a subtle presence that's gained through the trust of the leadership class. So then how do we enjoin the trust of that leadership class? How do we get their attention? To develop the requisite purity to, to establish that takes more Harinam than we're doing, frankly. Like I'm I'm a bit of a fanatic about that. What what could we all be doing right now? Chanting Hare Krishna more together. When when our leaders talk about like offering prayers for Ukraine, it's that that's why that devotee's um, quote was so for me poignant. It, it just sounds churchy, right? Because that's what the Christians are doing. The Muslims, the Jews, they all write the same generic statement. We offer our prayers to all those suffering. We don't offer prayers. We offer Sankirtan Yagya. <laughs> we sit our butts together. And we chant Hare Krishna for as long as we can, outside, inside, somewhere. And how much is that really going on? How much is that organizing from the top layer down? Almost zero. <laughs> and so there's an issue there. We can't expect that. And, and so devotees wanting to see influence in the society matter and meaning something are kind of going out and getting, I would say, cheap, shallow, superficial expressions of that so-called influence in a society where anyway religiosity has become just a, a fashion, just something to like a trinket to to swing around, but not to have any integrity towards. And we're just letting ourselves become a part of that game mm -hmm. rather than sticking to our guns and and telling our own people to have the faith that they need to. Yeah, and, let's stick to our guns. I'm in on David Madhavu's point and Jai Jagannath as well. It was making me think of um just a first drop, sorry. 2934 Bhagavatam. And 630 Gita. 
Yomam Pashati Sarvatra Sarvam Chamai Pashati Tasyaham Na Pranashyami Suchami Na Pranashyati. There's two points I want to make here. This is Chatushloki's second verse, Bhagavatam and 630 Gita. One is that Krishna says, um, whatever you see that where you don't see me, that is Maya, because I'm everywhere. Everything comes from me and I'm everywhere. And that person in the 630 Gita who sees me everywhere and who sees everything in me, they're never lost to me and I am and never lost to them. And so our unique responsibility as members of the Hare Krishna movement or the Gaudiya mission is to help people understand the presence of Krishna everywhere. And so it's not that we're bypassing because he is within us, he is outside of us. Yata, 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 tato na he's everywhere. And so we can deal with all the issues as spiritual practitioners and teachers um, and one more verse i'll mention as the importance of a bhakta a devotee um, what is the special role of the devotee and this is also from sastra and it's kind of um, aligned with our mission as bhakta bandhav and krishna says to arjuna ashmakam bandhava bhakta bhaktanam bandhava vayam i am the best friend of the devotees and the devotees are my best friend and then he says jagatam guruvo bhakta the devotees, they are the teachers of the world, and I am their guru, meaning the devotees are the gurus of the world, and gurus bring us from darkness to light, from nations to Godhead. And therefore, if we don't preach the truth or the paramahamsa sanghitam, as described in the second verse of Bhagavatam, then we're risking leading people further into darkness like blind men leading the blind into a ditch. And so even though the truth may be harsh, if it's spoken with utmost love and compassion, as we see Srila Prabhupada exemplified, as we see our Srila Gurudev exemplified, they taught us that truth, but with great love and affection. But they still told us, you're in sangsara, hanging by ropes that are being chewed by rats, and underneath there's scorpions and serpents, and there's a tiger waiting to eat you. And so we're all waiting to die, and we're all going to die. And so sorry to break it to you, our personal Armageddon is all coming. In the meantime, we should become Krishna conscious. And our unique responsibility is to preach Krishna consciousness as devotees. Awesome. And one thing I want to mention to Jai Jagannath's point, you're asking this question about compassion. Gorgvinda Maharaj also addresses this topic of compassion. He says that compassion doesn't begin until one is a pure devotee. Because prior to that stage of one becoming perfected, they always have liking and disliking. And there will always be some sort of preferential treatment. So real compassion doesn't begin until one's consciousness is fully purified. So how can we expect to be properly compassionate? Can we explore that in, in, in the context of the guru issue that we wanted to bring up? Such because a great segue. Before yeah, we before because we this, this thing always, it gets, me, it gets me a little bit, you know. Unless you're Christian conscious, you can't have real compassion. Like, and trust me, I'm I'm totally on board with that idea. By the way, <laughs> but I but just to give it a little bit more, I, I think we need to flesh it out a little bit because uh, I want to talk about it in the context of like the guru, um, particularly needing to be like nitya siddha, for example, or sadhan siddha, you know. And um, I've seen that a lot personally. I and Anyway, I'm going to say it. I've heard it from followers of Narayan Maharaj and also from Gorgovinda Maharaj's followers also within ISKCON. You know, the guru had to be nitya siddha for the, you know, in order to be like really a guru or truly effective. And okay, 
maybe setting a sitter was acceptable, but if you suggest that like Shri the Prabhupada was setting sitter, those were fighting words, you would be definitely shot down <laughs> in ISKCON. And for me, I don't find it personally, and I'm just bringing this up as a point of discussion, I don't find it as inspiring that the guru is Nitya Siddha as I find it in more inspiring that the guru is Sadhan Siddha because the Sadhan Siddha is someone who knows where I'm coming from in the true, in, a, in an experiential sense, unlike Krishna and the Nitya Siddhas who don't know where I'm coming from in the experiential <laughs> sense. As um, Srila Jiva Goswami has told this, the transcendence is impassable, like it's incapable of suffering in the way that we understand suffering. It's incapable, darkness cannot approach light, for example. So the Sadhan Siddha's story is a lot more uplifting from that perspective, the experiential perspective. And even more than the Sadhan Siddha, like a high level sadhaka who really, you know, knows where I'm coming from in the experiential sense and how they progress from this stage to that stage and then kind of like writing their story, that seems like millions of times more inspirational and not millions of times. I don't mean to say like that as I'm like downplaying the Nitya Siddhas or something, but just the idea that the guru has to be there instead of like coming from here and coming up, it seems like the one who's coming up has a lot more to share in terms of the compassion that is able to be shown experientially. I don't know. So I wanted to, I'm segueing into that with Here. that. With Deo that Fru had a point. I want to hear, but also Nambru, where's Tulsi? Come on. She's well, on her. She's on her way. I know there's a lot of ladies on the on the comments anyway, complaining that there's no ladies here i no, i was just she's waiting. coming i think she's putting on her t-lock or something okay. i just wanted to speak to this prabhu's point his name's jason he, he made a comment i'm gonna post it yeah i can post it. sure yeah about the the protests around the muslim violence and equating those with the the same things that were done for the devotees in russia in the 80s i'm assuming the devotees pointing to and again as i mentioned it would be different were there regular and and active Harinam going on across the planet as was going on in the 1980s. And the the sole pretext for going out wasn't some political appeal, or at least partly a political appeal. But again, to my experience in the last 12 years of the movement, there's been no top-down organization of the Yuga Dharma in a real substantial way. And then all of a sudden, people who I've been inviting on Harinam for over a decade are telling me I have to go out. <laughs> They've come out zero times. They've come out zero times. But suddenly, I have to go out and represent Mahaprabhu because their old afflictions of the Muslim-Hindu dynamic in their country have them riled up. They haven't come on a Harinam since that day. I haven't heard any word of any new organization <laughs> of them. And for the Ukrainian so, devotees, all we can do is fold hands in WhatsApp. You know, there was this, I'm sorry to cut you off. There was this picture, I'm sorry, it was a meme, but when the Black Lives Matter protest was happening, it was this funny meme going around of this girl. It was like a little, they literally took this picture of her at a Black Lives Matter protest. And she had on this like gorgeous flowing black dress and, you know, a sign that said Black Lives Matter. And she was waiting for the perfect shot so someone caught an image of this and like, wait, is she going to Coachella or is she going to Black Lives Matter protest? <laughs> and that's exactly how I hear or experience a lot of the, like what sounds to me like sanctimony with a lot of these issues. Like, why aren't you going to Harinam? 
It's like, sweetie, I've been inviting you for the last decade. Where have you been? You know? Mm. And, and so it's like, okay, we don't have our own stuff together individually, collectively. And now we're supposed to be concerned about the greater reality. It seems a little fake. Anyway, so we did touch on that subject matter. I want to go back to the guru one. Yeah. I want I want to touch just to say to the ladies who are speaking about the the lack of female presence on the, the talk, I without taking away that observation, as somebody who's trying to organize podcasts on the Bodica platform, I've for the last year and a half, literally, I have no less than 18 women message directly please i want a women's platform i want an anchor will you will you take it up even one episode even two episodes and there's just some real resistance or or i shouldn't say resistance there's some apprehension there yeah. and and a lot of it is because of the way they'll get treated when they say and speak their mind and speak their experience and and that's i respect that deeply they just don't want to deal with it it's not worth it but in general for many reasons it's very difficult to to bring women into the public sphere, and uh, I, I have direct experience of it. It's it's hard. So go easy on Nam. It's um, not necessarily that he's not trying. We were hopeful that Tulsi was going to be here the whole time. She, she is. I don't we know. Got, we had a great conversation. Anyway, it's like literally. Quick it's point. Quick point. Part. It's the first episode of the second season. You have like a whole season. Yeah, I, I said. I don't know why. You they came with guns me. blazing, man. I know they came. I responded. I'm like, damn, it's the first episode. Um, just on. a quick point, though, is there's a lot of YouTube channels um, spoken by a lot of wonderful uh, Matajis with like 80,000 subscribers, 100,000 subscribers. Oh, here comes Tulsi. Tulsi's here, everyone. Vivo. <laughs> Tulsi, save us, save us. Um, I was just saying that perhaps they could give more podcast talks. They have channels with hundreds of thousands of followers. Um, so it's not like they aren't represented. It's just take up that. Anyhow. No further ado. Um, can I chime in on, on Deva Madhava for one second? Yeah, yeah go, for it. go for it. So you you made this comment, and there's a I, it's a very relatable frustration around people who want to do something that you've been asking them to do for about a decade, and now they want to do it for, like, some random reason. On the topic Not of random, compassion. Yeah. Random. <laughs> random. Random in the greater sense. No one controlled it. It, just, it happened, right? And sure, so some sure. circumstance happened that, stimulate this idea that we should do this thing, but it wasn't the stimuli that we traditionally expect, which is that the Yuga Dharma is Sankirtan, right? So yes. on the topic of compassion, one way we can address for Jai Jagannath that we could try to be compassionate is suppress our natural inclination to respond in frustration when anyone wants to be involved for any reason and just celebrate that for whatever this motivation is, even if we think that it's an absurd motivation because they didn't care about it for a decade if they want to do something right now yeah. that's bhakti based let's encourage and invite and welcome that to whatever capacity they're capable of being involved amen and i can expect more of my leadership and i'm supposed to for your leadership certainly <clears throat> so that's my point i'll i'll pan i'll like i'll deal with the local folks i'll deal with the 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 on the ground folks one way but my concerns and comments are speaking to up the line the up the line right that that the atmosphere of the movement is such that the only global push for a harinam in the you know whatever protest harinam in the last decade that i've been involved was exactly and basically only motivated by this particular emotion coming from a majority of the congregants who have become a part of the iskon community 
So yes, I was happy to have them on the Harinam that day. I, it was that, that was the irony. We already had a Harinam organized <laughs> months <laughs> before. So we like, yeah, just come and join us, just everywhere. your signs. And some of them did. Uh, but I can expect more of my leadership. And that's the point. Hi, Tosi. I'm going to ask you a question really quick. How how do you hear all the um, criticism, uh, critique, I'm going to use the word critique, criticism sounds a little harsh, about not having women on here and now you've come to save the day. How do you, how do you particularly hear that? Or, um, or see see this situation, like four friends coming together to have a conversation. And five. Yeah. Five. I can count, right? Personally. Um, Maybe I don't count. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not. I'm you know. I'm kind of. I'm kind of from the hood. I'm. Bad, I'm really bad at math, so don't mind. I mean, I see where it's coming from. You can't uh, falsify relationships, like just for the sake of the visuals. Like, oh, we have to pretend to be really close friends with this woman or that woman because you know it doesn't. It doesn't look good that we're all men here, and it, people are going to complain about it. This was a very natural meeting of friends and obviously i'm married to one of these guys so it's like okay uh, i'm i'm happy to be here and and be, represent women but i don't see any problem in the first place with it just being you guys discussing things amongst friends and making that into a podcast i think that's okay and then on the other side i think it is important for women to see the represent see the representation that they want to see um and that is a whole other topic of why isn't there that? Why why aren't we having these same discussions amongst women? And there might there may be valid reasons for that. Maybe we don't have the same interests to talk about these things. And the women who are interested in these particular topics, maybe there aren't as many, or maybe they'll put it in a different way that might not be appealing to some others. I think you're just defending me because. <laughs> Isn't it like it's easy to be an observer of something and then have some critique that it should be done a different way? And one of the uh, Vaishnavis who commented on Nam's post, Nam was like, would you like to come on? She's like, no, no, not me. Right. <laughs> and market economy, person, people. Like I, I'm a very outspoken person. I feel like I don't shy away from my opinion or anything like that. But is doing a podcast my thing? I don't think so. And I really applaud Nam for, I don't think it was his thing at the beginning either, but he had the kind of, you know, enthusiasm to do it. And it's become really popular. And I really appreciate that he honed those skills. I feel like I couldn't do the same thing, even though amongst friends, I feel like I could just talk one-to-one -one and feel like, oh yeah, I disagree with that or whatever like that. So I think it does take skill to be able to uh, put across information in a very coherent way that people can appreciate and not everybody feels comfortable with that men or women so i don't think we should be necessarily just judging that oh because there's no women they're against women or they're trying to leave women out i think it's just that these are the people who felt natural in this particular podcast and i think i feel fine about that i mean i also grew up around a lot of boys and i feel very comfortable with that i i'm, I'm a tomboy myself so maybe i'm <laughs> more biased in that way and it's it's also risking you risk alienating people who probably are already on your side by jumping out the gate criticizing or critiquing mm -hmm. that there's not women representation. Anyway, uh, we 
She's wild. Oh, <laughs> anyway, we we have a representation yeah, here now, so everyone can. So back, not back. I'm just gonna be quiet the whole podcast. <laughs> I listen to all the wonderful points that are coming. So we jump back on the um, compassion, yeah. the guru. We were about to explore this guru. I mean, there's already been a little bit of um, uh, critique of leadership, um, gu guruship, the extent of compassion, what sort of qualification you need to really be compassionate and all that. Um, maybe we can begin to unpack that a little bit or explore that. I was just doing some research for an essay I wrote recently about one of the dynamics in our community that, that relates to the kind of Christification of Prabhupada, like turning him into a Christ figure and and Gaudiya Vaishnav into Christianity, Gaudiya Vaishnavism into Christianity. I was rereading a book by Karen Armstrong, who's a well-respected theologian as far as one can be. There's always different opinions, but she's pretty well-respected. And she speaks about Jesus and, and how he became God directly rather than man who is close to God. And that was the jury was out on that for centuries in, in the Christian community. And there were two kind of distinct camps. And if, if anyone has heard of the Council of Nicaea and then the Nicaean Creed that comes after, which is kind of the Pledge of Allegiance for Christians, that was essentially the debate that was going on there. Is Jesus better as one of us who, who rose up, who accepted the challenge and became one of God's worthy sons, or was he God directly coming? And it's interesting that the, the kind of religious, com, you know, uh, academic community looks at the situation and says they chose Jesus to be God directly because it was more politically expedient that the other choice of Christ, of Christ being someone who rose up was more empowering spiritually to the common person and therefore disenfranchised economic interests and other interests of the kind of political body. And so they, Constantine, favored and, and what was chosen was the idea that Christ is God himself, not a Jiva, basically. That's powerful. Interesting. So are you saying that people are trying to do the same thing to Srila Prabhupada in some ways? or I think in general, it's a tendency that we all have, whether it's Srila Prabhupada or, or any other great spiritual personality. We, we want to be lazy and we want it. I, I joke, bippity boppity bhakti, like just, you know, fairy godmother comes and waves her magic wand. And now I'm fixed and I don't have to. It's not hard. It's not I don't have to endeavor. And it's the the effort is one and then it's done. There's no more growth or development. But. Srila Sridhar Maharaj, she says something nice. He says, progress is eternal. And I always try to keep this in mind that it's it's an ever-expanding increase of my own endeavor. Even at that wonderful moment when I become a pure devotee, I'll still have endeavor to put forward. And to find joy in that right now is uplifting. And so, yeah, I, I do find this kind of um, framing of, of the spiritual master and Prabhupada included as a kind of superhero who comes into my life and does it all for me is is disempowering and discourages that needed kind of personal investment. Well, let's explore that a little bit more because we have statements like Acharya Man Vijanayan, Acharya Chaishavapusha Nakti. So the Guru is an, you know a manifestation of God. That's what so many statements are there. And so on a theological basis, the 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 choice 
to say guru is God is certainly supported on a theological basis within our tradition. And at the same time, he's a jiva. So anyway, Rasik wants, Rasik. Sorry, just a quick point just to throw out there is um, a messenger of the king is as good as the king if he's delivering the king's message. And so I feel like um, one point of many points to put into this conversation is uh, in, in Western culture, although not in Christianity, but this, this tendency to it's difficult for us to fully honor the teacher or even the parents as we do in Vedic culture, touching the feet or worship, washing the feet even of parents who are the first gurus. Parents are a guru. Tulsi and Nam, you're gurus. Why? Because you're bringing your children up so nicely. Father and mother who's not bringing their children into Krishna consciousness, they're not a true father and a mother. And so in Vedic culture, we honor the father and the mother. And so I think we we have this idea that Acharya Mambijaniya means only Anitta Siddha can be guru because Krishna says Acharya Mambijaniya. But he's he's just saying, honor the teacher as as good as myself because he is bringing you to me. And therefore, the messenger of the king is as good as the king if he's delivering the message of the king without adulteration. And this is there in the pulpits of Srila Prabhupada and spoken by our Gurudev numerous times. And so I just wanted to, you know, it's like we're picked up around, oh, how can we respect and honor and worship someone who's not necessarily on the Godhead platform? What's wrong with off having a picture of someone who is a great friend and mentor? We can have pictures of uh, actresses and actors and sports heroes, but to have a picture of a, a, a spiritual teacher who in, inspires us, oh, are they a nittasiddha? They might not necessarily be so, but if they're uplifting us in Krishna consciousness, then honor them. And they can be understood as being empowered by Krishna. It says, I'll give one point, Vaishnava jati buddhi, to consider any devotee on a mundane level or with mundane consciousness. We're said to be going towards a hellish condition. What to speak of guru? The nature of the kanishta adhikari, the beginner devotee, is they do not know how to properly honor devotees. They don't know how to honor devotees. When we understand the glories of the devotees, we'll pray and we'll take straw in our teeth to each devotee, we'll offer pranam. And, and cherish them with so much great affection. How many trillions of jivas are in the world? How few devotees of Krishna? With any level of appreciation and faith in Krishna, they are my guru. Vaishnav, Matra, Jagat, all devotees are gurus. But according to the degree, we respect accordingly. But it's just to say that there's no real issue offering honor. We should want to offer honor without desiring honor for ourselves. No matter the level of the devotee, even jivas, jive samandibe, every living entity should be honored. Why? Krishna Adishtan, Krishna resides there. So I think I want to bring that point to the table that Acharya Mambijaniyam doesn't necessarily mean he is like God just because he's an empowered um, or acting under the will of God. And that is the definition of a Vaishnava. I find the I, I find the use of the word honor interesting here, because honor it, it, it it's a little bit softer than the idea of like a complete surrender to, for example, and when you use the word honor, I what came to my mind immediately was you know Krishneti Yashagiri Tamana Sadriyeta, 
And then So that second line is you honor the devotee who's been who's taken diksha, he understands tattva, etc. He's honored. But the, the devotee who's bhajana vigna, he's like advanced in bhajan. And you know, his heart is completely devoid of the tendency to criticize and so on. To that devotee, he's supposed to surrender. So the guru, we understand, is supposed to be that person to whom we're surrendering, which is a little bit more than just honor. Now, I can honor all living entities, but I'm supposed to surrender, give myself over to. So in the case of surrendering to someone, the idea that they should be accomplished is going to come to, you know, it's going to be kind of important for me because I don't want to surrender to someone who's going to cheat me. I want to surrender to someone who's nitisida. I'm not, I don't actually think like that, but I, I'm, that's how I've heard it in many, in, in Iskand, I've heard it from different devotees. Like I said, I've heard it from um, followers of Srila Narayan Maharaj, Gorgavinda Maharaj also. And so that's kind of what I'm, that's when I'm kind of, you know, I don't mind honoring my friends. I do. I love my friends. My friends represent my love life. But this is more than just honoring. This is something a little bit more than that. Uh, well, I wanted to chime in on on almost an old topic at this point, but the topic of Nitya Siddha versus Sadhana Siddha, that Siddha is Siddha. So once at the Siddha stage, there's no there's no differentiation. This is our material conception. We want to make some differentiations. And maybe it makes us feel better, like you mentioned. It, like you, it's a thrilling idea of the Sadhana Siddha Guru. This personality has come from where I've come from. They know where I'm where I'm coming from. Uh, I, I really think that there's that distinction you're making is very important between honor and surrender. Because if, like the Upanishads say, that we should have equal faith in the Lord and Guru. So how does one cultivate becoming like a disciple, like a real disciple? Like Sri Gorbhan Maharaj says, disciple means under discipline. How can you accept discipline from someone if you don't have this type of faith in that personality? So we can't like water down what it should mean to be a spiritual teacher that's worthy of being surrendered to and expect a movement to flourish where disciples or prospective disciples become actual qualified disciples that the next generation, they can actually become qualified gurus. And also like, oh, I feel like there's a generational issue um, that, you know, the previous generation, for a second generation, all the issues that happened in the first generation with gurus and stuff, that actually has, in, in, sometimes in a subtle way and sometimes in a very obvious way, been passed down to the next generation who then have issues surrendering Absolutely. to any authority, not just a guru. Um, yeah. Any, so, so how do we break that generational curse and uh, kind of carve out a new way of mm. surrendering for our for our generation and beyond? This is the question. Yeah, she phrased it the way. That's the question. I, I want. I want to answer to that one. That <laughs> one. So how do we break the generational curse and carve out a new way for our generation? The I, I love that comment, Tulsi, because my my own personal complaint and experience of this dynamic is that. There are good devotees who I should be allowed to surrender to that won't let me. <laughs> you know what I mean? They, they because of the ugliness that they saw, their god brothers and you know, most god brothers go through, and the the awkwardness. They are apprehensive and unwilling to extend themselves in a natural way to let me take shelter of them, me and the other people who ought to be able to. And so there's this enormous gap of leadership between the, you know, the Mahabhagavat Diksha Guru and then the Bhakta on the ground. And everybody in between is 
is very apprehensive to do their part because of the awkwardness as, as you brought up. And so that for me, that's where the real work is, is in empowering those devotees again to tell them this is your duty. <laughs> it's your sacred responsibility to accept the shelter uh, or to offer the shelter that you are capable of offering. We have so much mercy that's like not flowing right now because of this apprehension in the hearts of many people. And I don't, I don't blame them for it. I, I get it. Like it, it was such a difficult thing they went through, but for my sake, <laughs> I'm begging them to, to let it come. What's the apprehension? You mean like people who went through the zonal acharya time or something like that? Yeah. And, and so there's, there's this idea that like I either have to be a, a nobody who nobody does anything for, or I have to be sitting on a Vyasa sun with flowers around my neck. Like an apprehension to accept a certain title that means you can then give someone, you know, shiksha. Guidance. Yeah, that's right. right. Pra practical guidance and, and shelter and, you know, even in a, a more formal way, if not necessarily initiation as a, a, a mentor, counselor, there's so many words that spin around these days, which I also have problems with. But there's just a, an apprehension in the community in general to really take care of someone. And, and it it looks like here's Prabhupada's books. Good luck. <laughs> I, I I did I did my part. I brought you to the temple. I gave you Prabhupada's book. Now it's up to you and your sincerity and and Krishna in your heart. And that's just not how it works. <laughs> it takes so much handholding by seniors, and, and senior may just mean two steps down the road from me. But if that person two steps down the road from me is not willing to turn around and hold my hand, then I'm in trouble. It's funny. Rasin wants to say something, but you know. The same devotees I notice who will be willing to break my faith and someone that I'm finally able to surrender to. Finally, <laughs> finally able to surrender to right. someone. Like, right. oh, he's bogus. Somebody you trust. Finally, you trust someone. I remember asking one devotee who was telling me this, that, and the other about a devotee I was kind of getting attracted to. I was like, okay, are you ready to give me shelter then? He's like, no, nah, I'm not qualified. No, nah, I'm not qualified. <laughs> and I'm just like, okay, so you just broke my faith in this guy and you also it left me hanging. <laughs> so now what is my position? Yeah. Well, so if uh, I could uh, mention something that was part of the kind of crux of the issue in, in my understanding that facilitates Mahaprabhu's desire and as expressed by Srila Prabhupada on hundreds of occasions for the desire for the movement to expand as well as the uh, need to maintain the integrity and the purity of the process. And that is... Um, a kind of the importance of broadening the understanding of the guru beyond just the mantra initiating guru or the diksha guru. And if we look at our Vedic traditions, there are five kinds of gurus, and I'm not going to go through the whole delineation at this moment. But the point is that um, diksha and shiksha are considered both vitally important. Diksha is considered or understood to be like the father, and shiksha is like the teacher. And a parents, you, you you have children and you may homeschool the children or your the parents may be themselves great teachers in an institution or they need to find a teacher. And so we must ultimately approach higher sadhu sangha. If we're kanishta, we need at least madhyam or kanishta madhyam. We need to progress. That's the idea of Narutam Das Thakur says, sajati ashray snigda. Associate with devotees who are affectionate towards you, who are more advanced than you, and who are giving you shelter. And then gradually you can progress. So the point I, I just want to bring into discussion, and this was part of the crux of this whole conversation, was 
how do we balance? It's not about us creating the idea of this movement. How can we serve this? Um, understanding the will of our founder Acharya, Srila Prabhupada, or Srila Gurudev, whoever you're um, Mahapru ultimately. And so I'm not going to get into the whole conception of the Bhagavad Parampara yet. Uh, I'll let others perhaps speak on that. Uh, just suffice it to say, um, it includes both Diksha and Shiksha, and whoever is the most prominent in your life will be considered the Bhagavad Guru, um, the Diksha Guru, or the Shiksha Guru, or and they can be both. Um, and spiritual life doesn't end at Diksha. That's the first step. And so it's like entering, second birth means you're being born into Krishna consciousness. Now, what do you do after you're born? Everyone knows, you guys know the best, right? Nam and Tulsi. 20 years, you're responsible for the upbringing of your children. And so it's more than just giving them birth and then sending them off. Um, and so then I want to make the, I want to discuss this idea of Mahaprabhu said every town and village. And we hear this ad nauseum, right? Every town and city, because this is like our identity. We are meant to be the broadcasters of this Harinam Sankirtan, Yuga Dharma, everywhere, every town and city. And Srila Prabhupada brought that mandate to America. And from there, he created the worldwide society with thousands of centers. Our Srila Gurudev instructed us to preach in a similar manner with a similar verve. And Prabhupada, in his purports regarding the Guru Tattva issue, and this is just one of hundreds, he specifically says, and he quotes a verse, Kiba Vipra Kiba Nyasi Shudra Kenanoi Jai Krishna Tattva Veta Se Guru Hoi from Mandalila. Um, he says that whether one is a Brahmin, or a sannyasi, or a sudra of the lowest class. Those who know Krishna Tattva, they are guru. And this is from an important point, because Mahaprabhu is speaking to Ramananda Roy, and people are like, who is this Brahmin sannyasi speaking and learning from a sudra, Ramananda Roy? This is not proper. And Mahaprabhu said this, this point, whoever knows Krishna Tattva, they can be a teacher. And Prabhupada writes in his poor quote, because this is just one of hundreds of quotes, Prabhupada writes, if we don't take up this kind of broad, and I'm not quoting verbatim unless you want to read like five, ten pages, which we don't. So I'm not quoting verbatim here. But the same mood is echoed repeatedly. If we don't take up this broad-minded spirit of Mahaprabhu, where he says, Amaragyai Guru Hoi, on my mandate, become Guru. He spoke this to an ordinary, like a uh, village person. He said, be a Guru and deliver the land. If we don't take up this expansive mood, of bringing people into the movement, taking full responsibility. And now I will qualify this by saying this is not a light responsibility um, in GBC resolutions. 20 years of sadhana are you know, necessary to become considered a guru. You, know, you need to have a, a long resume, you could say, of practice. But there's nowhere where we check, oh, an Uttamadikari is going to check mark, is this a pure devotee or not? Now, my point here is that to become a Vaishnava and to do Vishnu Puja, you need Mantra Diksha. And otherwise, you're not really considered technically a Vaishnava. Grihita Vishnu Dikshako Vishnu Puja Paronaro. Vaishnava Bihito Bigiro Atarasmat a Vaishnava. As according to Jeev Goswami's description, we need to take up Vishnu Diksha, Mantra Mayupasana, Pancharatrika Diksha, to then be born, you could say, into the spiritual movement from which then one enters the school and progresses. And so to have a father, your father doesn't have to be a prime minister. Not everyone's father is a prime minister. Someone's father may be 
just a nice person who's really loving and affectionate and responsible. <laughs> you know, they can be a householder, they can be a sannyasi, they can they kiba vipra kiba nyasi, they can be a shudra. They don't have to be a sannyasi or they can be a householder, they don't have to be a man or a woman. My kind of and and this goes to this is a little long-winded, but it's kind of setting my um main core of the discussion. So forgive me if I'm kind of going on. Um we were discussing this a little bit before and how the GBC also kind of passed this resolution with the desire to expand and have many, many more gurus who are qualified, but you don't have to give them this like, hey, are you a pure devotee kind of beat down, which stops people from taking responsibility for others. Have faith in Krishna that time to time, you know, great acharyas appear who everyone can take shelter of. But in the meantime, every, the mission must go on. And if we look at our Sampradaya, that's how it's always been for thousands and thousands of thousands of years and yugas. There have always been spiritual teachers who have helped their students advance in spiritual consciousness. That's how it's always been. That's how it always will be. And Prabhupada writes, unless there is this mood, Prabhupada said in 68, in a letter, now I'm giving, uh, I'm teaching Bhakti Sastri, Bhakti Vaibhava, Bhakti Vedanta to all my sons and daughters. I want that within five or six years, you're ready to all initiate and become spiritual masters. So I'm not trying Hello. to interpret the instructions of the Acharya. I'm trying to say, how do we reconcile and follow them? This is not one isolated case. Um, he said this on numerous, <clears throat> numerous occasions. And I think you're it speaking. was that mood of Prabhupada that enabled the rapid expansion of the movement. And I think we would be very ungrateful to say, oh, but to nitpick Prabhupada and say, but you empowered, oh, these were the Acharyas after you and they made these mistakes. Prabhupada, what he had created was with this broad-minded faith in Krishna and this expansive mood, the Bhagavad Guru will be revealed, but you need to be born into the Vaishnav movement. And we don't expect there to be one Pope for the entire world of Hare Krishnas. There's not going to be one Pope that we all surrender to. So the idea is have hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of initiating gurus who act like spir spiritual parents and then create a school for bringing them. Trust in the third and the fourth and the fifth and the sixth generations. The Mahabhagavats will appear, but the movement must go on. I, you know, I'm, I don't think anyone disagrees. Yeah, I don't think anyone disagrees with you, Rasik. But the 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 re the reality of that hap of that uh, you know expansion and and everyone should be guru like the the like the reality of that is kind of different in what we've seen in the past. I was I was gonna say conceptually what what I'm hearing from you makes sense. I think it makes sense to anyone who hears it as a conception. Totally, totally, yeah. But we're dealing with another challenge. And the other challenge is the, well, I'm going to use this word, the archetypes that we've inherited of guru. The archetypes we have are Srila Prabhupada, Srila Narayan Maharaj, Srila Bhakti Siddhanta, Kaviraj Goswami, Jiva Goswami, Raghunath Das Goswami. These are the archetypes that we've inherited. Who's Bhakti Thakur's guru? Bhakti uh, Thakur's guru. Who's Gokshalas Babaji Maharaj's guru? Who's Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami's guru? Who's Haidas Thakur's guru? Who's Rupa Goswami's guru? Right. So Ooh. all all these archetypes, they're all we don't like order a Diksha Guru. Huh? We who is Bhaktino Thakur's guru? Bipin Bihari Goswami. Bipin Bihari. Why is he not on the altar in any of our temples? Well, name me a temple where we see a picture. I don't know what he looks like. 
What does Vipin Bihari Goswami look like? That's okay. In our four that's pictures thinking, of our that's the archetype. Yeah. In well, our five pictures because, in every temple. That's the difference. There's Bihari Goswami's pictures. Does anybody, anybody, anybody know what he looks like? No one knows what he looks like. had initiation, though. Yeah, that, that speaks to the, the Diksha Shiksha thing, which everyone here embraces that idea as a conception. But I'm saying that the other archetypes, I've given other names also who are part of the list that we embrace as the archetypes for divine leadership. And they're all extremely exalted devotees. That, that's what we've embraced. So when you have that image sitting in your head, that's the other obstacle that comes up in stepping into that archetype for anyone else. Therefore, we need to broaden our understanding. That's why we're having this. Well, that's what, so that's what I'm saying. The understand you've given a conceptual understanding, but I'm saying there's another obstacle aside from the conceptual. It's an, it's an archetypical. I would just mention that point that we do not know the Diksha Guru of Krishna's Kaviravas Goswami, but in every chapter of Chidan Charitamrita, it says Rupa Raghunatha Padajara As. Right, that's the, the same point I'm speaking to. Same point I'm speaking to. So I'm saying broadening. Most people, if you tell them what is the Bhagavad Parampara, they don't know. But in every Iskon temple, in every Gaudiya Mat temple, the Bhagavad Parampara is represented. And right. two of the most essential members of that Bhagavad Parampara, the Diksha Guru, is not present. That is Gokshas Babaji Maharaj and Shilabhaknu Thakur. Their Diksha Guru is not represented in that Bhagavad Parampara. Why do you keep saying that? What is that related yeah, to? What is, that doesn't that speak to the point that I'm bringing up. The point is there's this hiccup that we can't, unless we find a Mahabhagavat Diksha Guru, we can't take an No, 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 no. I'm not talking about Diksha Guru. I'm not talking about Diksha Guru. I'm talking yeah, about Guru. It can be Diksha Guru, Diksha Guru, whoever it is. I'm not speaking to that side. So my point essentially is at some point in one's spiritual life, to go back to Godhead, we need to take shelter of Uttam Bhagavat. Shiksha, my, understanding Shiksha, Shiksha, this, Shiksha my understanding of this point that it was that i mean my uh perception is that it's kind you're kind of explaining what was the intention behind the counselorship system bhakti vriksha kind of system was that you know it all trickles down and individually you'll have like groups meeting up and they'll have a leader amongst them who's kind of inspiring everyone to i mean that's kind of what we had in our community and i know um that there are many communities who do those kinds of programs where you know you have like community leaders basically who take on a kind of guru role they're not in a, you know they're householders or or brahmacharis or whatever but they are taking that kind of guru role but then, you know, I'd love to hear David Madhava Prabhu's um, uh, points on um, counselorship and what issues we have there, because I, I think it's related to this issues with who can be guru or who can, you know, teach Krishna consciousness to people who are needing, needing to learn. Thank you, Tulsi. Um, to your comment, I have, I'm tempted to speak to something else, but to your, I'll, I'm going to try and stay on track. Um, I've been having a conversation with a few people recently about this oft-quoted verse that you shouldn't become a father, you shouldn't become a husband, et cetera, unless you can deliver your dependents. Mm -hmm. And then the, the kind of natural implication of that presentation, as we take it based on our culture today, is that I shouldn't be a dad unless I'm a pure devotee, <laughs> mm -hmm. which doesn't work very well sociologically. Right. <laughs> so right. what, well, what is actually being said dead. there is to be a good dad so that when your son or daughter meets a pure devotee, they have the capacity to relate to that person in a healthy way that's uplifting. If you're a good dad in the way that a dad is supposed to be, 
then you're delivering your dependent so because they're prepared to be able to meet the Mahabhagavat. So to back to Jai's point that most of the archetypes we see and are presented are, are on this level that none of us are going to attain in this lifetime or meet in this lifetime. And if, if that's who we're looking for before we're willing to trust someone, then we're going to be in trouble because even if we do meet such a person, our day-to-day -day interactions are not going to be with them. So then where does that leave me in terms of my willingness to surrender practically in my exchanges with the people around me? It right. leaves me feeling alone, isolated, and pessimistic as right. we see most people you know, describing their experience if they're honest. Right. That's such an important point right. because actually one Srila Prabhupada disciple came to me and said, you know, they kind of said, oh, I was never really the mothering, you know, as a lady and she, she was just encouraging me in, in my motherhood and mm -hmm. said, oh, I was never really a, the mothering type kind of thing and I just kind of did what I had to do, but I wasn't really good at it and we were so like fixed on what we were supposed to do for Srila Prabhupada that you know, and I see that generationally, that's a lot of children got kind of left behind because their parents were trying to be pure devotees and, mm -hmm. you know, not faulting them at all. Obviously, they were doing their best. And um, I think that's such an important point that you said that we have to actually play the role. We should try to play the role perfectly because that then creates a stable, uh, a stable foundation by which that person can then appreciate become a functional human being to then appreciate devotees and be able to serve devotees and get them mercy it's often spoken that krishna only repeats himself a few times in gita and this is one of the places or one of the ways he does don't do somebody else's duty and i remember one of the first times i was in the detroit temple and we were making chapati for sunday feast and so this bengali devotee who can practically cook the whole feast himself he gave me this the service of just rolling the ball and i was like <laughs> you know i was i was insulted i was like play-doh like that's what i'm like i'm, I'm in the corner with some play-doh right now like, you're cute you want to do something nice but go, go play the stay out of my oh way God, making the same size so, so that's how i i approached it is in this kind of like this is stupid this is useless and i'm like basically being patronized right now but then I started to see because that that man, if if you give him a, a proper round ball of chapati dough in three rolls, he has a perfect chapati to put on the fryer and then to put on the flame. But with me and my lazy flippant attitude, I was giving him imperfect balls of chapati dough. And so it was taking him five or six or seven rolls to get the perfect piece of chapati to then put on the fryer to then put on the flame. And thankfully, I quickly caught on and realized, OK, my role is not as important and flashy as his but I still need to do it well. And if I do it well, then over the course of making chapati for a whole Sunday feast, I'm gonna save Tirtapad Prabhu 45 minutes of his precious devotional time. And, and it was a, a lesson that empowers me today when I think about it to just do my part and embrace that it, it is responsible. It has its meaning in Krishna's scheme. And I don't have to be totally pure to do it. I was in a bathing suit and a t-shirt when I was rolling those chapati. So if I can be doing that, then there's something else for me to do today also. That's a very interesting visual. And I, I think I, I want to give a little expansion on your point regarding like the role of father in terms of like letting helping their kids be able to see who is a pure devotee. I think that responsibility goes into 
that their own spiritual practice is such that they're diving in deep enough that they identify who is a pure devotee and say, this is Sadhu Sangha. I'm going here. You're my son. I'm going to take you here. You're my daughter. I'm going to take you here. And this is my opportunity in life came exclusively because Sripad Bhagavad Maharaj took me to Sadhu Sangha. From eight months old, I sat on the lap of Srila Gorgana Maharaj. When, when I was, you know, uh, a teenager, he brought me to India to be with Srila Narayan Maharaj, you know. When in my 20s, I got to spend time with Srila Bharti Maharaj. And it was exclusively because he said, these are exalted Vaishnavs and you should be in that association. I think that's the role. I also think that we should look at this topic of guru, tens of thousands, millions of gurus. Like, what's an important consideration that we're leaving out? The disciple. So... <laughs> There's, that means hundreds of millions of disciples. So what is the role of a disciple in the relationship with the guru? So the guru can be any number of levels. We've seen evidence that even in rural circumstances, a Kanishna Adhikari guru has a time, place, and circumstance that their service is completely bona fide. As long as they're taking shelter of Chinana Pisunichina, they're taking Sadhu Sangha themselves, they're doing the sadhana process. Fantastic. How should the disciple see that person? Padma Purana takes the Upanishads, goes a step further and says that only to that person who sees their guru at, with more love than they have for Bhagavan, then Bhagavan can come present to them with their hearts. So beyond even equal love for Guru and Krishna, that love for Guru has to be greater than love for Krishna. So the disciple has to be able to cultivate that type of dynamic with this prospective guru. And that means that personality has to act above board even if they're not at this level of siddha they have to be at a behavior level that they can inspire this type of faith and not let that person down or ruins everything we've already seen that happen i, I wanted to mention something earlier our friend jani tai made a comment and it, it speaks to what you're saying now nishinga prabhu because john brought it up as a kind of initial posit also how does one kind of find and, and connect with persons who are worthy of our trust and surrender? Because that's one of the natural apprehensions when we have only Bhaktivinoda Thakur or Prabhupada as a standard. Everyone fails that standard. So then how to functionally create an ethic where I, I can feel safe in my um, opportunity, but I also see I have an opportunity. There's something here for my myself to get. There's a verse in Chaitanya Chaitamrita that I love, and it says, Bhakta Pai Yanhara Darshan, that one sees divinity, they have darshan of divinity based on the, the service attitude in their heart. To the degree I'm having a service attitude, to that degree I'll be able to see truth. And so Jani Taiprabhui brought up in the comments this idea of finding a pure guru has subtly underneath it this salvationist attitude. It's not a seva bhav, it's a salvation bhav that I want to be free of the material energy. I want to, this person to be the, the vending machine for my salvation. And that attitude of using the guru spoils the relationship. Whereas if I enter in with this mood of doing something for the Vaishnavas and, and our Guru Janas and Krishna, then Krishna in my heart shows me who's going to help me do more and who's going to distract me from doing more. And it becomes very clear and, and easily it's tangible. And we've all felt it. So reinstituting and reminding the disciples, as you're pointing out, that it's this mood of seva that actually qualifies you and gives you the capacity to see, have that darshan of who's qualified to receive your seva. And there's no loss in having seva bhav, even towards somebody that's not so-called worthy. Krishna will make arrangements to keep you protected and to keep your seva growing. 
Just on that point, I remember in the um, Srila Prabhupada's Lilamrita um, that Srila Prabhupada's father would invite all kinds of sadhus to come, mm. you know, even people who maybe Srila Prabhupada was like, oh, you know, it's like <laughs> not quite sure, but they would serve them in the same way. And that kind of really speaks to me that we should expose ourselves and also teach our children's children how to serve sadhus no matter what you know how you were saying earlier on um just learning how to how to honor other devotees is i mean if you can teach your children that children that i think you've done a very good job (laughs) yeah you've done your parent role (laughs) because then by seeing different kinds of devotees i think a child will learn that oh well, that one was very different from that one. And I, I see the difference. And that makes me st- start to see that there's a huge expanse of what kind of devotee you can be and, and start to see, you know, who do I want to follow and who am I inspired to follow? Nice. And see and see how your parents treat that person. Because right. you automatically you grow up with love and affection and respect for your parents. And if your parents are falling at this person's feet, then you transfer that. This is the same concept that we don't know Krishna, can we, we develop love for a guru and guru brings us love to Krishna. He and connects children, us. Children are very, very perceptive about the way you act and the, how you talk and how, you know, that's like the first thing that in, before you tell them anything, they see your actions. So, and it's, it's very subtle things they can pick up on, you know, if you're upset or you're not being completely genuine, they can pick up on that. So it's so important. And those are the th- kinds of things that as parents, we should be, uh, focusing on and as uh, societies we should be focusing fo- focusing on education for that purpose you know and I, i'm as i'm hearing this conversation unfold i'm reminded of um sri krishna bhajanamrita narhari sarkar you know and there's this whole section of gurus falling down from sense gratification and basically as i recall it and please correct me if i'm wrong but that's because it's been a while since i've actually engaged with that literature but as i recalled it Except for in cases where he becomes envious and offensive toward Vaishnavas, the guru is never to be rejected, even if he falls down due to sense gratification. And I think at one point in that passage, he speaks to the disciples saying, go on and take the guru off to the side, you know, and be like, you know, yo, man, what's going on? <laughs> and of course, I'm, I've modernized the language a little bit. It's, it's more poetically spoken, man. Not, not right. <laughs> But basically, he's saying you take the guru off to the side, and you like have a conversation with him in private about the issue. And I remember reading that and being very like positively impacted by that because it spoke to me of a sort of different dynamic between guru and disciple that was perhaps more realistic to the situations we're likely to encounter in our own relationships in the here and now. In case you, unless you have a Mahabhagava guru. Then, then the archetypes of guru disciple that we're normally engaged with, like Lokanath Swami and Narottam Das Thakur, and it's just like, whoa, that's really intense. It's intensely beautiful, but whoa, I'm not going to be able to step into that. But in, uh, so, yeah, just like as we need maybe more realistic archetypes of guru, also more realistic archetypes of a disciple, and, mm. and particularly that relationship. And I appreciated um, Narahari Sarkar's Bhajanamrita for that reason. It was like, okay, this is like, seems like something like, it was like more relational and less, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for. Like less Aishwarya, more Madhurya, you know, less like just 
Vishrambena, right? Vishrambena, yeah, maybe Vishrambena Guru Seva. I think it's like, um, you know, we always want to rubber stamp, or not we, but um, in general, <laughs> I think people feel safer, and that's the idea of rubber stamping, that people feel safe, that this is approved, you know, by any kind of organization. Good, good segue. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to talk about this topic. <laughs> just to continue. Um, Terms of agreement. Rubber stamping then um, uh, omits the opportunity for relationship because if you're not rubber stamped, you feel like, okay, well, that's not an option. I have to go for the rubber stamp. So, you know. <laughs> anyway. Deva, Deva Madhava has so much to say about this, and I love wait, it. Wait, wait, what am I missing before, before this? What's the hot topic here? It's all. Um, you should have like going a going garbage side. can fire. I'm drinking it up. Keep going. <laughs> So do we want to talk about that now? Yeah, I just can, if I can make, jump can in. Really stand quick. By. Yeah, yeah, Rasik. Jump in, um, just to add some further, because it's hard in a couple of minutes to express a very complex topic, but I'm not advocating for, you could say, watering down the principle or, or the standard of guru. What I'm just saying is that uh, there's a few points I think that are prudent to understand. One is, again, as I said before, how do you actually... Um, rather than just try to interpret endlessly something that Srila Prabhupada said so many times um, of a very kind of a liberal empowering statements, as well as I've, in CC directly by Mahaprabhu about wanting more um, people take responsibility as gurus. Um, just a kind of a deepening of our understanding of this principle. And it's not like there's a, there's a few things. I feel like as a practical measure, there would be less competition between societies and organizations, as well as um, more openness towards Sangha between groups in harmony and friendship, if this idea of Guru wasn't only the Diksha Guru is the Guru. And that's why I brought up the point of Bhaktivinoda Thakur and Gokshas Babajas Maharaj, not to point out that fact. There's two things I want to mention. One is that the archetypes are meant to be Mahabhagavats. That is the conception of the Bhagavata However, you don't have to wait your whole life until maybe I'll find a Mahabhagavat and then I'll initi take initiation. Bhaktivinoda Thakur almost, you know, very quickly took initiation. Nambru? Sorry, we we have some prashad going out in the other room. Um, this there's there's less there there can be less um, stigma around it, and perhaps less anathema to taking responsibility for initiating. If people understood, if if they're not necessarily Mahabhagavat, they can still take on a mantra initiation role, a pancharatrika diksha role, which is Prabhupada, for example, he told one of his lady disciples to um, do the yagya and do the upanayanam for one of his male disciples who was his husband, her, uh, her husband. He gave the mantra, but he said, no, you can do the pancharat, like you can do the yagya, you can do the upanayanam, you can speak the Brahma Gayatri into his ear. So it, the Vedic tradition of Brahma Gayatri, like every school in India, practically, all the kids will chant the Brahma Gayatri. And you'll hear it at Radhakund and you'll hear the Brahma Gayatri everywhere. So the idea is to be a Vaishnav, you need to enter the family and hopefully you're fortunate enough that your Diksha Guru will be a Mahabhagavat. But if that's not the case, you should anyhow start the process and trust Krishna that you'll 
gradually be able to find higher association. And if there's not this idea, oh, this person's going to reinitiate, or or maybe like we have to find the Mahabhagavat and then we can enter the process. You don't have to wait necessarily. And I think that will help reduce any potential for kind of spiritual showmanship, which I think is also a potential issue or topic where we have to kind of artificially pretend to be pure devotees if we're not in order to be, a, you know, someone who is helping others. You know, I think part of the mood of Prabhupada and then Mahaprabhu is to really help Jivas. Prabhupada writes in his purport that everyone's burning in this house of samsara. We should go out and help them. Now, it's a grave responsibility to be like a firefighter or to help someone who's drowning. You need to learn how to swim. But it's just to say that the archetypes are meant to be Bhagavats. But the archetypes are not, there are Diksha Gurus who bring you into the path of Vaishnavism who are not necessarily in the Bhagavat Parampara, but who are still honored and respected. Bhaktivinoda Thakur still washed the feet of his Diksha Guru and honored him. But Bhakti Siddhanta Prabhupada established that he is in the Parampara. Now, I'm just saying this to say that I think there will be less politics and less competition if we just broaden our understanding of what it means, how to develop in Bhakti, how to be a Bhakta, how to have a teacher, how to have a Guru. And there doesn't have to be as much um, politicization around it. And it can be, Prabhupada said, how, how, you know, I think there's a lot of criticism towards ISKCON, and I really don't appreciate it. I have the utmost honor and respect for what the Prabhupada has created and what is developing definitely under his authority and under Mahaprabhu's authority. And I think we should be careful to think that the authorities at present are actually supreme authorities without the will of Krishna. Prabhupada writes in the purports that not a blade of grass moves without the will of Krishna. And so what I also want to say is that Prabhupada trusts the third generation, the fourth generation, the fifth generation. Great devotees will arise. In the meantime, you don't have to wait hundreds of years. There's always a pure devotee presence, but it's not practically, um, it's not going to be usually the practical case that every organization, all the members are going to jump and jump and jump and jump and tell who is the greatest, best looking Mahabhagavat on the planet because everyone can still go and take Shiksha or take Bhajan Guru. And that is still considered their Bhagavad Guru. So I'm just saying the only reason I'm giving this idea is to lessen the disharmony between groups, take away any reinitiation kind of politics. And uh, I'll mention a quote that Arshida Gurudev said, Marsh. He said, even if a sannyasi has fallen, they have not really fallen unless they have given up the teachings of their guru and you know completely gone against him. And so he had a very broad-minded, like, compassionate mood towards devotees, anyone who's trying to help others. And so I just wanted to bring that out, that that's part of the reason for this conversation, is that in a worldwide society, part of the GBC resolution is in local dialects or local languages, you need a guru of that language, because how are you going to connect with people? And, and one other point I just want to make before passing it on, and we can go to other topics or as you like, um, the guru as an intermediary or connector. And if they're a true disciple, following their guru in that guru varga, which is a, a lineage, then they can, under certain conditions and instructions, amar agya, if they're instructed to do so, then they can, it's like taking your phone and plugging it into the wall to an appliance that's a live connection. And so 
if you have your phone, you don't just go to the powerhouse company and say, plug me into the power source of the radiator or the nuclear reactor or the whatever, the solar energy. Don't You can't plug in directly there all the time, but you can plug in your wall. You can plug in your phone to the wall appliance. And if it's a live connection, so how we classify that is anugatya, proper guidance, proper sadhana, proper discipline, being a real disciple. Everyone wants to be guru. No one wants to be disciple. A real guru is a disciple. And so a disciple doesn't have to be a guru. Bhakti Sandra Prabhupada said, Das of Smi. I am the disciple. I am the servant of all of you. And so my point is just that this idea of the initiating guru has to be a Mahabhagava in order to advance in bhakti is not uh, really seen in the Vedic tradition as always the case. And if they're truly connected, they can be a live connection. Now, if the wall outlet's not connected to the powerhouse, if they're saying that I am the powerhouse, then the connection's broken. But if there's a true connection, then Guru is Vyas. Guru is he who connects you from the mundane to the spiritual, to Krishna. And so if Guru can be a connection, then honor the connection and be connected and progress in your bhakti. And then you can have the opportunity perhaps to find a Mahabhagavat Shiksha Guru or a Bhajan Guru or, and continue in your spiritual process. And then there's no, there's less of a barrier between Sangha association if there's less stigma around who is your Diksha Guru, who is your Diksha Guru. It's like the first question you're asked, who is the Diksha Guru? Who are, who's initiating? Who is the Guru? It's a very um, elaborate understanding. And there's multi-levels of gurus. And one guru may be all, but Mahaprabhu says, Vande Guru Nisha Bhaktan. Mahaprabhu appears as all the bhaktas as well. So learn to honor all. And I feel like partially it's a Kanishna mentality to drag everyone down who's taking any responsibility. But just, just as a quick sidebar to that, just a very quick comment. I don't think devotees today think only the Diksha Guru should be Mahabhagavad. Because you were speaking a lot to that side of the issue, but also finding a Mahabhagavat Shiksha Guru is also part of the conception that we've inherited, which is what we were speaking to earlier. And that creates obstacles for people wanting to step into any sort of role of guru because that's a it's an exhausted thing to I, I think there's a form of classism yeah. in it. And I think yeah, it's a new so. form of casteism and classism. Can I, I say one thing quickly? Because I might have to step out for a minute. Um, I are are people looking for Mahabhagavat, Mahabhagavat gurus? Is that what everybody's looking for? Because sometimes it seems like no. we'll just want to be part of the club. Or yeah, right, 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 right. I love this guru. You know, this guru's kirtan, or I love this guru's classes, and I want to be included. And it's not the guru who's doing that. It's the disciples sometimes who are creating this attitude of this is what our camp is like and you can be part of our camp and this is how you have to think and you have to dress like this and look like this so i feel like not everybody is actually searching for a Bhagavad guru they just kind of want to be part of that group maybe externally but what is the jiva's natural inclination every jiva is naturally inclined and in searching out the type of association that will get them back to the eternal position of service to krishna which means an eternal servant of Krishna connecting them. And I think that it's really, it's an interesting topic because when we talk about this idea that we're, that guru can be many different levels, what should disciples think? That's the natural question I have. 
what should prospective up-and-coming disciples think? How are we training on the tattva of Guru? Are we saying, are we sitting from the Vyasasan and Srila Prabhupada's temple and Srila Gurudev's temple and we're saying, there's so many different personalities who are Guru. In our society, most of them are probably not going to find Mahabhagavats, but don't worry. Whenever you're qualified, Mahabhagavat will appear to you. So just, you got to get the, the mantras. It's really important to just get the mantras and then you can start learning more about this process. Or are we saying, right. this is who Guru is. Right. You should feel that shocked to the heart that this personality is coming personally to save me and extract me from samsara. That should be the experience someone feels. And if they're not feeling that with someone, we shouldn't force the issue that they need mantras before they can make progress because the Yuga Dharma is Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Ram, Hare Ram, Ram Ram, Hare Hare. And everyone can do that in any condition. So I, I push back against that slightly. Just should they feel that? I think I think the question that you're bringing up is the question that it needs to be explored. What should the disciple think or prospective disciple think about Guru Tattva and about who his guru should be? And the question that's coming to the table for me, this this is the one who's gonna pull me out of you know samsara. I feel like I'm just pushing back on that theoretically because I don't really push back on it, but theoretically I'm pushing back on it insofar as if that's the thought, yeah, I feel like it would be more prudent to think of the more, like a more practical, I guess, responsibility of the guru. Because when you say something like, he's going to lift you out of samsara, it's very abstract. And how can you know who's going to lift you out of samsara? Because you play a role in your own lifting out of samsara. It seems like it's more important to have more practical understanding of your responsibility as a prospective disciple and the responsibility of the prospective guru. Like, I, like, what is the guru supposed to be teaching me? What am I supposed to be learning from him? And what are the behaviors that I could expect to see in a guru? And if he's able to deliver on that point, does it really matter if he's Mahabhagavad or all these other sort of abstract things that a prospective disciple couldn't anyway know due to the area of, you know, of his own consciousness? Like, how do you know a pure devotee without really being one? And so, yeah, I'm, I guess for me, I'm wondering about a more practical criteria. I mean, practical in the sense that there's always going to be the faith element. My faith is going to this person. My desire to surrender is inspired by this person. So that's like a very just simple practical criteria. But then more over, like, what am I supposed to be learning from this individual, et cetera, et cetera. Like that sort of criteria. Otherwise, it becomes super abstract. He's supposed to be able to deliver your, you know, Siddhas Tarup. He's supposed to be able to, you know, Nikunja Nyuno, Rati Kaili Siddhya. If he ain't that, then it, it gets like super abstract. And then the relationship becomes very, you become arrested in your movement because of the abstractness of the, the presentation of the relationship and the, the persons involved in the relationship. Well, I think both have to be there. I mean, I, I, I agree with you that we want to make it, it should be clear in the sense, what is the disciple's responsibility? What does it mean to be a disciple if you're going to enter into this process? Hari Bhakti Vilas, I mean, it, it really breaks down and we can't expect that everyone's going to start reading Hari Bhakti Vilas. And, uh, <laughs> that's a whole other, whole other thing. But 
at the same well, note. If I read that, forget it. I'm like, I'm. I actually, this, I told someone over, not to read it the though. other day. I said, wait, because it's you're not going to want to practice anymore if you start reading this right now. Like, give it a little time. <laughs> <laughs> um, one quick little note, if possible. Jan Masarta Kori Kara Pura Upakar. And so this idea of, I think traditionally, like if we saw Bhaktisanta Prabhupada, his kind of unique, one of his unique contributions was saying, don't just look after yourself and pretend to do Nirjan Bhajan, and go out and do Nam Sankirtan, help others. Right. And so we see a lot of the people who came originally to Bhaktisanta Prabhupada and the Gaudiya Mat, they started off, and you can read Bhakti Sridhar Ban Maharaj's um, poems. They start out from this spiritual journey, like if you're hearing the song of the call of Krishna on the flute. You're on your own individual spiritual journey. But when you join the mission, you understand the principle of being a missionary and then you can harmonize your own journey as well as bringing Krishna into the center and that I'm not the center of existence, so I should serve. And so it's just, we wouldn't have, if Bhaksanda Prabhupada didn't have this magnanimous spirit, if Srila Prabhupada didn't have this magnanimous spirit, if the followers of Srila Prabhupada didn't have this same magnanimous spirit, we wouldn't have Krishna consciousness in the world in this prominent way as we do to this day. And so it's just kind of a re, uh, a, a calling out, a beckoning to have this expansive, broad-minded mood of empowering people. Now, to your point, and I do see that as an important thing, like we're not just, do I have a Mahabhagava Guru right now so I can start Bhakti and start helping others? Um, we should honor our Guru. And we should, whatever level they are, we can, but it is also our principle that we don't put on the altar someone who is not of that stature that, you know, you know, in, in the main temples, we don't, we're not too quick to anoint like a successor Acharya in the Bhagavad Parampara. We're hesitant to do that quickly because it can create a spiritual showmanship. Everyone, you know, wants to look very quickly like a Mahabhagavad pure devotee where that may not be the case. And, you know, we encourage everyone to take shelter of the Mahabhagavad, but there's, there's no barrier to start the journey. And like you said, everyone is qualified to do Harinam Yagya. But, you know, Rupa Swami gave five limbs of Bhakti is very important. And of those, Shraddha Shri Sevan is one of the five prominent limbs. Um, and for that, you need Vishnu Diksha. Um, so I'm just humbly saying that this idea of you know, Janma Sartha Kori Kara Upakar, try to help yourself and also help others. And, you know, trust in Krishna that he will take care of it. And the disciples should always respect their guru. Respect every respect and honor and surrender because you're surrendering to Krishna. You're not surrendering to Guru. Yes, you're surrendering to Guru, but only because he is representative of Krishna. Prabhupada would say, don't surrender to me, surrender to Krishna. I am taking you to Krishna. He's not, it's not like to your point, Dev Madhavru. He's not bringing people to himself. He's not creating Christ as God. He is the devotee bringing you to God. And so therefore, what's the harm surrendering to someone who is a Madhyam or Madhyam Madhyam or Kanishta Madhyam or Kanishta Uttam? There's many quotes that say that is possible. And so the disciples should have utmost honor and respect for the Guru of any level, should surrender. Now, the question is, you know, there's many descriptions of what is not a bona fide guru. Shiv Thakur says if the guru is only interested in looting their disciples' property, they're not a bona fide guru. And Shiv Thakur says most gurus want the wealth of the disciples. They don't want to, you know, help them. I'm not going to get into dozens of quotes. The point is that 
if you're genuinely helping them and advancing in their bhakti and they're, you know, helping them, encouraging them towards higher association, then take shelter. Surrender because you're surrendering to Krishna. You're surrendering to Nityananda Prabhu. We haven't spoken once about a Kandaguru Tattva in this entire conversation. Why not? There is one Guru, Nityananda Prabhu. There's one Guru, Baladev Prabhu. And there's many manifestations and representations. And we said, this is not, we're not diluting. We're just saying that Guru is Vyas. We're take, they're taking you to a point. That's why Krishna says Acharya Mambijan. Krishna says Acharya Mambijaniyam. Know them to be as good as myself because they're bringing you to me. And so we're kind of like, well, Krishna doesn't count anymore. Nityananda Prabhu doesn't count anymore. Only this soul, they have to be God now for me. We respect them, Shakshad Haritvena. But why? Because Kintu Praboya Priyavatasya. We respect them as Shakshad Haritvena because they do the Lord's very dear, important task of bringing conditioned souls to their true home. That's why they are Shakshad Haritvena. The third line is equally as important as the first line. You could say even more important. So I'm not arguing on this point. I'm just saying, again, a more compassionate view towards anyone taking responsibility. And that's why I don't, you know, it's like whoever one may be, if they're genuinely, sincerely practicing and helping others, you know, then amen to them. <laughs> Thank you. You're, you're reminding me of this anecdote in the Ramayana I like to think about when considering this tension of, where I'm surrendering and is the person worthy of my surrender. M Marichi is told by Ravan, you go as a golden deer and present yourself. And he said, no way. And Ravan says, why not? And he said, well, if I do that, then I'll get killed. And Ravan said, well, if you don't go do that, then I'll kill you. And then Marichi says, okay, <laughs> he goes off to go be the golden deer. And before he does, Ravan says, wait, where are you going? I thought you said you were scared to get killed. He said, yeah, but I'd rather be killed by Ram than be killed by you. And those who think they're not surrendering, you're being worked over by your mind already. You're already under the control of and, and the jurisdiction of the material energy. Why not take a gamble on the spiritual energy? That's how I consider it. If I see somebody who is inspiring my trust and faith, there's no loss in going and being killed by Ram in that moment. If they, if they prove themselves so-called unworthy, it's only for my upliftment. It's it's my own sincerity that's being tested. And Krishna has his arrangement for me to be connected with somebody more established uh, after I purify myself to be ready for that. So uh, there's no loss in that, that effort. Um, if somebody's going to... The slightest uh, performance of this bhakti is never lost. One point is, you know, going back to that point of like falsely trying to push someone into like taking on the role of a pure devotee, you know householders more householders can be guru it's not that only sannyasi who is like able to show that they're a pure devotee more householders can be gurus more people of different categories can be gurus why and i'm not i'm just saying that like in order and this is in propod's commentary again and again and again they're helping you take steps forward in the process and there'll be less fall downs if there's less false push to like show yourself to be a Mahabhagavat. Mahabhagavat is um, self-manifest. Acharya is self-manifest. In the meantime, the movement has to continue and spread. And, and this was the direction and, and desire of our Guru Varga. Also, uh, on that point of less fall-downs, um, those who are not at a pure stage taking on, taking on this responsibility. Sorry, Jai Jago? 
Oh, you're you're muted. My bad. Okay. I said, who wouldn't love that point? Let's fall downs, please. <laughs> well, but on the topic of let's fall downs, if a personality takes on less disciples and they're more capable of processing the karmic responsibility and the burden of a handful of disciples instead of thousands or tens of thousands of disciples. I mean, this discussion point with the GBC was that the vast majority of the gurus in, in ISKCON are the next decade or two, we won't see them present anymore. So then how does the society continue to function when the society's grown 50x and it could it will more than likely continue to grow at that same rate if we remain true to the Prabhupada's teachings, um, if we don't allow for some natural growth. And so then that point of Tulsi comes in, right? Is that, so who's, who picks all these new tens of thousands of gurus? Who who stands approval that this grahasta? Oh, it's been at least a decade since you've had sex life, so you're ready. Um, or who who is making these decisions? Who says that's a requirement? Well, that's that that's a whole other topic. Wait, wait. So what is the um, what is it? Gave <laughs> him out of my uh, now it breaks his silence in this one. <laughs> no, no, no. That's not why I'm. <laughs> I don't know. Um, it's you got it's the Grihasta's attention there, <laughs> right? I was like, oh, yeah. um, it's 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 a right now in Iskon. It's not a it's not a rubber stamping per se, but it's give him out of a keep me um, honest here. It's something like no, uh, like if if anyone if anyone objects, no objection no objection that's no what it is like you guys know marriage, what that is like a wedding no, right which is the fine print version it's the fine print version of, of an approval i just figured, i just found this out recently so if you uh want to be a guru in iskon you have to you there's something called no objection so if you can be a guru as long as no one objects to it so <laughs> What did what did what did possible media age? What did Iskon as as no one to object? Say again. How is it possible for no one to object? like for example, you saw you, you like I like 10, 20, 30, whatever, fifty years from now, you're, I'm like, hey, listen, GBC, I want to be a guru. And then Jay Jagannath was like, I remember Namras. He like one time he like ate onion garlic and stuff or something. No, and he objects. So then that means he can't. It would it would be the other way around. It'd be Namras would be like. You guys were all my podcast as my friends. Do you all have no objections, right? Okay, now I'm <laughs> right. That's exactly. actually what's happening. Right. <laughs> there, does, there is actually, an, the, I've, I've been in some official threads and it's an approval process. It's admitted. It's an approval process. So we don't need yeah. to go into the kind of bureaucratic approach to the approval process. It's sure. an approval process. And if, if those who, there's honest people who are a part of it who say, yes, it's an approval process. Is is there a problem with that? The I have a problem with it. <laughs> I, approved. I, I find... No, I, I know, find I'm just it, trying to spur the conversation. I, I find it, he's being the host. I find it's the virus that is causing all of the other symptoms that everybody complains about as, as the so-called problems of the society. This is the corona. This is the COVID. This is the thing that causes all the other calamities because our relationship with guru is our relationship with everyone else. That's why Krishna emphasizes it so much, because ultimately it's our relationship with him, as has been spoken to. 
but my relationship with Guru is my relationship with all the other devotees and, and all other parts of creation of Krishna by the extension of that understanding. So this lack of trust and this diciness, this kind of like you do for me, but I'm going to hold back for you until you prove yourself worthy to me. That that approach to relationship is what we go into every other relationship with husband, wife, child and parent, congregation member, temple president and congregant. All of the other relationships are colored by this very odd, weird, rubber stamped approach that we have to the spiritual master. And it's spoiling everything. So would it be healthier for ISKCON as a society to like overnight, like cold turkey, this is not the system anymore. Guru is self-manifest. Everyone should seek out according to Shastra. This is Prabhupada said this, this, and this. I, I would well, say yes and it's not as cold turkey as you would that that phrasing leads you to believe and this is my that is not going on already. My, right that's right as though the checks and balances of the parampara are not already active and already engaging in the heart of the disciple as though we're dependent on iskhan telling us yes or no these things are allowed to be happening they're happening the degree to which things are working is because of that natural check and balance that's already existing, not that suddenly overnight we decide we're going to flip that switch instead of the other switch that's on right now. Mm -hmm. So this, the it, it's an erroneous specious, that's the real word, it's a specious argument on the part of those who advocate for institutional control of guruship that there are no checks and balances in the natural system. Actually, the natural system provides, and this goes to Tulsi's point, which she made earlier, in the natural system, when my guru has an issue and I have an issue with my guru, it's my fault. It's not Iskhan's fault. But in the present circumstance, I, as a conditioned soul who love excuses, my, my most precious possession are my long list of excuses for why I'm not a pure devotee. Iskhan is giving me the best excuse. It's not my fault that I chose an inappropriate shelter. It's Iskhan's fault. That's a great point. And um, continue. And, and that <laughs> totally undermines the, the responsibility that's supposed to be there, felt by every individual, felt by the collective Sangha, to keep each other safe, to keep each other progressive. No one is investing themselves in, and bringing that rigor because we're all waiting for ISKCON to be Krishna conscious for us. We're all waiting for the GBC to give me a guru for me. I don't want to do the work and you're offering me this sweet deal. I'm going to take it and it's not working. And and then and then I think part of that that bleeds into because you mentioned that this is like the core of the issues with everything. I think that bleeds into Iskhan's relationships with other sanghas. Amen. Is oh, because God. there's such this this heavy structure around only our gurus. Amen. And then you you posted about the Iskhan disciple course. I think we've um, seen some threads and conversations on that topic. The foreword to that. I'm not supposed to talk about this, <laughs> but there's there's a lot of areas where this becomes actually the real reason why Sangha relationships can't go on like they should go on, like this podcast is going on right now. Yes. Where we all, I mean, even Rasik Mohan and I were God brothers, but we also have different Shiksha groups, hmm. right? So we also have some different relationships and different experiences as well. We're not, we're not a monolith, right? The and and still, we have affection. Jai. Hey, Mom always used to say, excuses are like armpits. Everybody's got more than one of them, and they all stink. Yes, on the other <laughs> side of this issue, though, just, you know, contemplating it briefly, is that what happens to the institution 
and I think leaders must be thinking about this also, what happens to any institution when there are these like charismatic personalities who do come to the fore and, and naturally create a sort of sangha within a larger sangha, and then there's always a fear of it splitting or fracturing that that umbrella sangha that was supposed to be, and you know those umbrella sangha in which everyone was supposed to be serving. And I feel like that's a genuine, that's probably like a genuine, reasonable concern. And like I wonder about in other sangha because we're we're zoomed in on ISKCON, but you know one of ISKCON's glories. Well, I've been put it like this. One sadhu said this when I was in Govardhan recently. <laughs> He said, the glory of Prabhupada is that um, even though everything's falling apart, it's staying together. <laughs> <laughs> you probably know who said it too, but I'm not going to name it. He said, this was the glory of Prabhupada's movement that even though everything's falling apart, it's staying together. Right. Which I thought was a, I thought it was a fair and super excellent, you know, clip because, <laughs> <laughs> because like, you know, and I'm not trying to, I'm not comparing here just as a matter of food for thought or putting it on the table, but other sanghas, it seems it was a lot harder for a lot of other sanghas to stay maybe as a more cohesive group because so many charismatic personalities came to the fore. And then if you didn't like what was going on, just, all right, I start my own sangha, you know, and my own, like literally my own institution, you become the founder of Chari of your own institution because you just couldn't serve your god brothers or whatever. But that's, so, that's I mean, that's probably the part of the natural system, honestly. But it's just it's it will yeah. naturally expand with newer and newer branches. One quick point though: the natural system, what, honestly. What, what will happen to Iskon? I think to that point is a good question. Right. Like, yeah, that's people serve in an Iskon temple if they're not initiated by Iskon Guru. Um, not going to name mind. drop, but who's the head pujari of Krishna Balaram Mandir? Yeah, yeah. Um, we, now, yeah, in one sure. family, I don't know about Nam's family or whatever, but can someone have an iPhone and a Samsung and be in the same family, or do they have to divorce? Well, it's really more efficient if you keep everything either Apple or Android. If you're really going to like maximize the efficiency of your space, but that that's yeah, like yeah, two pictures of two different gurus on your altar. I'm using a MacBook and referring to Nam Pru's previous podcast. It's very difficult, nigh impossible to access folio base on a MacBook. Shame. <laughs> Therefore, I must have a MacBook and a PC or one or the other or only a PC. So, so different things have different suitabilities and functionalities. The point is, why can't Sanghas work better together if ISKCON is understood to be, look, you have the number one Hare Krishna, like you're always, you have such a head start, you're always going to be in, in the front. It's almost impossible for anyone to catch up with you unless you create a, a Berlin Wall. And if you create a Berlin Wall, you're risking becoming um, relegated to like this. Oh, it just seems very like 18th century, 15th century. Like, don't talk to anybody. Like, imagine if I have friends from all over the world and I've grown up in a temple where there's people from 50 different countries. It's very natural to have friendships from different people, from different backgrounds. In our temple in Radhika Vrindavan, there's disciples of like 30 gurus and we all get along as bosom friends. And so my point is like an organization isn't only consisted of members who are lock, stock and barrel soldiers of that organization and hate everyone else. Because how does that make any sense? We're all part of the Chaitanya tree, one Chaitanya family. That doesn't mean we have to give up our sovereignty individually in our organizations individually it just goes to say that 
can I go into an ISKCON temple and feel welcome as not a lock, stock and barrel disciple of a present day ISKCON guru, even though my parents or my friend's parents are Prabhupada disciples, or even if I'm not at all related to Prabhupada, can I still accept Prabhupada as a Shiksha guru and feel welcome? Can I say my guru's name in an ISKCON temple? And why not? What is the what is I can't the even say my guru's name in an ISKCON temple. <laughs> so my my point is simply like what that and that's actually the first topic we we're supposed to talk about in this podcast. Maybe before we end, we can touch on it a little bit at least. Um, mm. what is like our future view of the Hare Krishna movement? It's and this is part of my feeling as it's unavoidable for there to be lots of charismatic leaders. We don't want a monolithic society. We don't only want Apple. We don't only want Samsung. We also want really cheap knockoff phones in India that are really like a lava. <laughs> it's cheap. <laughs> like we don't want homogenization. We don't want this kind of imagine there's no heaven and hell and everyone's one and they sing Kumbaya and they don't believe in God. Variety is Krishna, Vrasovaisa. Krishna ha- is himself the reservoir of all variety. And so to ex- to try to, and this goes towards the, the move to homogenize societies as to one kind of conglomerate, I think that is unnatural. And it's kind of, it will stifle growth. A tree has different branches with different twigs so that all the leaves can get sunlight. But they're one tree. And so I think this idea of we're one Chaitanya family, but we are specifically in this branch. We're specifically in this branch. We don't have to always associate, but at least sometimes we can get together and we shouldn't try to saw off each other's branches. <laughs> I can have a friend from China and a friend Great from point. Ukraine and Russia, and we can all love each other. And we don't have to agree with the politics of our leaders necessarily, but we can still be friends. And we can agree to disagree on many points, but we can still be friends. Well, I think his, I think historically, sorry, uh, yeah. I, so, uh, I think historically it's been because uh, you know the 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 society of ISKCON was based around the temples that there was that kind of control you could say of okay who do we associate with now that it's not based around the temple temple life ashram life it's it's broken open the lines are being blurred like anything like totally being blurred i think and for the future what's that what's the danger there's no danger there's no danger yeah there's no danger sorry david madhavan you interrupt you uh, well, I think that, I mean, to Jai's point, there are legitimate concerns. There are dangers. I wouldn't say that there's not dangers. Um, however, how much is the institution able to protect us from those? How much does it want to enjoin in us the idea that it can? And so to, to your comments, Rasik Prabhu, when we look at it, ISKCON and the, the challenge that it faces of, of presenting this dynam, dynamic Gaudiya Vaishnav culture to so many people, and keeping keeping people feeling under the same umbrella, we all know well that hating Maya is much easier than loving Krishna. It's much easier for me to look renounced and um, divorced from the material energy than it is to deeply develop affection for Krishna. So as an institution, it's much easier to create an enemy than to internally enjoin the fundaments of Krishna consciousness and let that be the unifying factor of the community. If we have an enemy, then that automatically we're on the same team because we're not on that team. So that temptation, I think, has is one that ISKCON has succumbed to to some degree. And to Nam's point, because nobody's living in the temple anymore and therefore chapati problems are not being provided and solved by by that structure. All ISKCON really has left in the influence of everyday congregant is that guru connection. 
we say your guru is authorized. Mm. And so that's why it's very difficult for them to give that up because it's the last vestige of power that they have from a kind of institutional place without reforming the institution into something where dynamic spiritual leadership is the reason I'm coming to you. Right that's now, what it should be. Right, as it should be, no doubt. But again, because of, of habit and, and social dynamics, history, et cetera, it's fallen back to we've got this guru thing on lock. You have to come to us for an authorized spiritual master if you want to feel like you're connected to Prabhupada. And so there, it's very hard to, for one who's been dishon or honored, dishonor is worse than death. So it's very hard to give up power once you have it. Iskan has been holding on to this. It's unnatural. It's going to be very difficult to let it go, even though by letting it go, all the things Iskan was created to create and, and support devotees with will actually be felt. Uh, it's still going to be difficult. And, and so my personal feeling is people just have to start doing what they know is right, not as a, in a mood of rejecting Iskan or, or leaving Iskan, but showing Iskan that they don't matter as much as they would like to or think they do. And I, I want to comment on this as well, because I don't consider myself as not being part of ISKCON, right? So, I mean, I'm wearing this shirt, but it's not like a shirt. I thought it was funny because I got it from Nam Ross. Mm -hmm. uh, that's <laughs> but I, I mean, I grew up in ISKCON and then I saw firsthand when Tripad Bhagamar started to take Sangha of my guru, Dave, that he was having fights every Sunday feast with his god brothers on that he's abandoning Prabhupada, that he's giving up Prabhupada. And he's like, but I'm feeling closer to Prabhupada by having association with someone who's friends with Prabhupada, right? And so I think one thing to Judge Yuganath's point that we also have to think about is when we talk about dangers, we should also, I mean, I think decisions made out of fear are always wrong decisions. So we need to come to a level-headed place before making decisions. And and I, I implore that the GBC and ISCON should be doing that as well, not out of fear of losing people, but out of like, what is the right path to forge forward in Srila Prabhupada's mood and vision? That should be the deciding factor on decision making for Srila Prabhupada's society, not out of fear that that there are some groups that have potentially different opinions. But let's teach Srila Prabhupada's opinions and let's give love and affection. And actually, I remember one conversation that Srila Gorgaminamarish has where he says that unless you're at the pure stage, you're not even practicing bhakti. He says it's only sukriti anyways, right? He says bhakti unmukti sukriti. <laughs> he says, That's he, super inspiring. <laughs> so, so two hours out the window. Woo. <laughs> so, What's so, wrong with sukriti, guys? Yeah, I mean, I'll take it. I'm taking it. I'll take what so, I can get. The point being is that let things happen as they should unfold from the eternal perspective we're going where we're supposed to go anyways right we need to put some effort in to please our spiritual teachers the vision of Srila Prabhupada has been dictated and directed very clearly especially his his writings and, and, and I don't know if you all probably have but I think many people should take a chance to look at Srila Prabhupada's writings and speeches from the 30s and 40s and 50s and to see how ISKCON grew into the ISKCON we know from what Srila Prabhupada's vision uh, was of serving his own Prabhupada. And then let's take on that responsibility. The natural progression of having thousands of gurus is that we have people becoming perfect disciples of their guru, like Rasik Mohan was mentioning earlier. And to do that, we have to follow the orders of the spiritual teachers that come before us and love everyone 
open the doors to everyone. I like the idea of good fences make good neighbors, but it doesn't mean that you can't have a gate that opens both ways. Mm, awesome point. You know, I would, I would feel, I'm obviously compelled by all these points, honestly. I would feel more compelled by these points if we had representation from like, let's say Jiva Institute and Radha Kund, you know, followers and so on. I would, but we know that- The anti-parties? The anti-parties, <laughs> exactly. So that's I, a joke, everyone, that's a joke. Yeah, yeah that's obviously- I would just feel, clip I, that, let's, let's clip that anti-party section. So I would feel no more, clipping, this is live. I'm already compelled by these points. I'm in this vision of a future ISKCON, a future relationship of Sanghas, and I would feel more compelled and convinced by it if we would have representations and these other sanghas who also ha honestly have a relationship to Iskan and Gaudiya Math as their genesis in Christian consciousness and later on. But then, you know, there's doubt about the level of respect, you know, and I think that's where the whole, in the minds of perhaps institutional leaderships and also there's a, because they also have an inherited a, a history of trauma mm -hmm. in regards to the level of respect offered both, both ways and then how much that can be healed, I don't know. But that history is still there. And some scars are certainly playing out in the psyches of modern day leaders. And I feel like they do impose their past onto the present and disallow for healing in a lot of ways. That's not me like criticizing, it's just my observation of it. And, um, and so I don't think that's necessarily an easy obstacle to overcome um, when you well, have- time, time overcomes that naturally. I actually had a conversation about this with Sripad Bhagavad and he's extremely blunt personality. And he's like, me and all my God brothers have to die and then you guys can figure it out. <laughs> and, I mean, it sounds like really, really harsh, but if there's old history and old wounds that have lasted for half a century, it's hard to give that up. Yeah. And so like we should not shoulder the burden of our past generation's old wounds. We I'm, should, I'm totally down with that. I'm not the um, previous generation. In order to do that, though, we have to we have to be introspective. Yoga yukto munir brahma nature nadigachiti. Because there's many people who are aware that they they lived with parents. Uh, to use a kind of sociological example, parents that weren't equipped in the best ways to raise them, mm. and they recognize that, and they recognize the kind of symptoms in their own life, but they don't recognize the in betweens, the work to do to actually create a healthier dynamic. Right. And and so, yes, time and yes, it, it heals all wounds eventually, but I'm interested in more immediate healing. And so uh, not this discussion itself is part of that, but it, it takes everybody taking this discussion and bringing it into their own Sangha. Right. And, and having it with the people that they already trust and empowering each other to create those local bonds of trust and not be so worried about the authorization and institutional sanction that the idea of uh, th that there was an idea of was necessary for so long. Mm. One thing I'd like to just mention a uh, slight counterbalance, you could say, or pushback. Um, just, uh, I know everyone has utmost appreciation, but just to mention it, um, how much appreciation is due to those who were the sons and daughters, first gen of Srila Prabhupada, or of whatever uh, guru and his organization, but primarily we're speaking about ISKCON now. And they were warriors for the cause and they they embodied that warriorship, soldiers for the cause. I mean, doing such sacrifice that would be almost unimaginable um, for a lot of people, myself included, this day, you know, morning. It's artificial to try to do it. So 
my point in that is um, we have this tendency in modern society to like cancel the past because it wasn't perfect. Um, and we kind of cut off our legs for the future as well. And so it's the same thing nowadays, even with some of Srila Prabhupada's quotes, oh, that has to be canceled. This has to be canceled. That can't be played. We can't play Prabhupada in the temple because it's too controversial. America has to be canceled. Now, what are we? We're just constantly, every 20 years, we have to become, we have to reinvent a new form <laughs> of liberalism so that we can feel morally righteous. And therefore, we have to constantly cancel the previous generation. And so my point to our fathers and our parents and our mothers who spearheaded the development of this movement, Ram, when he they were building the bridge to Lanka, you know, Ram gave utmost respect to the squirrels that were putting the sand off their body into the rocks. And some of the Vanaras were saying, oh, I'm bringing the big rock. And Ram respected the squirrels. So just my point in that is, um, and it's something we haven't had time to go into, we probably won't tonight, but Arta Brivriti versus Anarta Nivriti. Arta Pravriti means going towards the positive and seeing the positive, and Anartanivriti means destroying the negative. And both are necessary. But at a certain point in life, it's very important to both see the positive. And, you know, cup's half empty, cup's half full. But let's try to fill the cup. We're more likely to fill the cup if we have an Arta Pravriti tendency. Um, and we have to also purify the faults of the past, but not that we throw the baby out with the bathwater. So my point in this is if you're a warrior your whole life, it's hard to put down your arms. You know, but maybe that was your role, that generation to be a warrior and to build strong walls and defenses and spearhead the whole thing. So now it's a question of, okay, moving forward. Become a Brahmin. But well, now um, become a Brahmin. Yeah. Well, Prabhupada, that war against, I'm, I'm a closet fanatic and I love the war analogies. So Prabhupada speaks about the war against Maya and this ISKCON mission as soldiers and militia. And I'm into it. And what were those, that first generation, if we think about the most famous war that we all know of, it's World War II. And what was that first generation? They were storming the beach at Normandy. They were doing the unprecedented thing that nobody would do after and nobody could do unless they were in that circumstance where you had to. This is what it means to serve at this moment. And they all, you know, as you're saying, in an inconceivable way, they all surrendered to that. The generations after them, the soldiers who come after in, in the war effort to win, to try to recreate that and behave that way is artificial. And it's a disservice to the sacrifice that those men and women made. Correct. It's, a, it, it's in some sense a mockery of it to try to recreate 1973. 1973 happened so 2022 could happen. And it looks different. It must. It has to. And if it doesn't, then in, in some way it's an artificial... Um, yeah, it, it's an artificial reliance on those glory days rather than using their sacrifice and building upon it. And, 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 and I also want to make one other point in regards to the like absolute necessity of young devotees taking responsibility is that, I mean, many, many people learn by doing and making mistakes. And while we have the association and the advice and guidance of really experienced senior Vaishnavs around, that, I mean, unfortunately, over the past several years, we're seeing left and right are departing this world. Like, that empowerment is required. Like, we take on a responsibility. We're, we're not qualified. There's a Christian saying that God doesn't call on the qualified. He qualifies the call. So you take mm -hmm. on a responsibility, and you take the advice and guidance of the people who've done it before you, that they should spend the rest of their life chanting 64 rounds a day and giving advice to those who need it, and let us take advantage of that advice 
and try to push forward in the responsibilities that they've already paved the road for. Mm-hmm. So Amen. we're coming up to, uh, we're up past two hours now and um there's been awesome conversation i feel like we could go on and about different topics maybe we'll do this as a regular thing or something why don't we talk about the flat earth and (laughs) fake moon landings (laughs) we will do it we will do it so if you if you like what you're hearing if you like this group i think this is a pretty cohesive nice group we don't mind interrupting each other and things like that if you like it please put in the comments uh we might do this again, but uh, I think we can end there. Let's let's have like ending statements. I, I don't I don't mean to put people on the spot, but I think it's a good thing to do. Uh, Rusty, why don't you start? Oh no, pass. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like not, I'm ready to talk not, about flat Earth, guys. Not so me. Agnostic, by the way. <laughs> okay, Jay 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 Jagana. I'll just echo something um, Rusty said in the course of the conversation having a more compassionate view um, for people taking responsibility, yeah. especially of that most sacred, in, in the sense that most sacred responsibility of caring so, for someone in spiritual life. I was reminded of a Srila Sridhar Marsh, you know, this is echoing something that, um, this is echoing David Madhava's you know, Marichi story, but Srila Sridhar Marsh tells a story of Krishna's headache and you know, needing the foot dust of the Vaishnavas. Mm-hmm. And then the gopis finally being prepared to go to hell <laughs> to remove Krishna's headache for even a moment. And he says, that's how I received the order to make disciples. Because he said, for years and years, devotees were asking me to do that seva. And I was like, nope, nope, nope. But then he says, he was telling this story. And he said, no, I must embrace the order of guru in this spirit, that I'm prepared to go to hell to fulfill the order of my guru. And then he was telling, because he's speaking to the disciples of Prabhupada. This is in Sri Guru in his grace book. And he says, if you embrace the order of the Guru with that spirit, you will be protected. Um, and, and so that story combined with Rasikma, a more compassionate view towards those who are taking that responsibility. Um, and then from those who would put their trust in such a person, saying that, wow, this is a very heavy thing they're doing. And just from that, maybe... Uh, at least allowing our hearts to be open to the possibility of embracing shelter in that way, even though it might not be Mahabhagava or whatever other abstract idea we have governing our psyche, as it should also be playing a role too, not to dismiss that. So I was appreciating that that angle a lot in the course of the conversation. Anyone else? Um, I wanted to mention something from one article that Srila Prabhupada's Sanyasku Rishita Bhakti Brigankesha Mars writes, where he talks about that um, Uttam Adhikaris, they shower their mercy imperceptibly on Kanishta Adhikaris, and beyond their vision, they're raised to the platform of Budyam, and only once they're raised by that mercy, then they can see, oh, all along, mercy's been coming from that source. So I would implore that devotees, even if you're feeling like, even if, if anything here has resonated with you, that you think that you could take back into your own communities and try to take on some responsibility, know that Mercy is coming to empower everyone. I, I mean, I'll speak for myself. Everyone here is very advanced, very realized personalities. But for me, I have no qualification whatsoever. And somehow or other, I keep being put in situations that require me to step up or look like an idiot. And so, and I really think that if we take all, like our Acharya's feet on our head and just say, the Mishra Mabru must go on, let me do what I can. Whatever they want to use me for, let me be empowered in that way. 
and just surrender to that. And every single person watching and every person that's at all aspiring to be a Vaishnav has that opportunity to serve in that way if they just ask for it and beg for it in their job. Beautiful. Anyone else? Um, well, the discussions about guru and, and the kind of tension that one may feel and confusion at different experiences, even when, when you feel affection towards several different Vaishnavas, that can create a kind of crisis also. And that, that you know, just fidelity and that idea of a single pointedness and, and I have affection in some other place now. And does that mean that I don't have as much affection for this other person? I, I'm reassured by this understanding I was given that the spiritual master is the person who doesn't need anything from you and you need everything from them. And when I examine those people that I trust most in my life, I see that this person doesn't need anything from me. But I want to give everything to them because of that. Because they're still dealing with me. <laughs> they're still accepting me. They're still giving me something, even though they truly need nothing from me. And I, I wanted to offer that as a kind of um, consideration for devotees who especially we're paying attention to the earlier part of the conversation when we're discussing the different dynamics of gurus and taking shelter. I wouldn't want anybody to leave that conversation feeling more discouraged. So I want to offer that as a, something to hold on to. Right. Um, for me, I just appreciate so much having you all as friends. Um, I don't even, I can't even think of differences, but I know there must be, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> and so yeah. it's just, uh, I'm not into turbans. <laughs> I said I'm not in turbans. <laughs> okay. Well, sorry about that. <laughs> um, I'm the only beard here, so <laughs> um I would just give a, a great sense of again, just going away from this with a great mood of love and honor and appreciation to everyone and trying to take up this process, you know, sincerely, genuinely, trying to give up uh False ego, that's a very hard one. Desire for prestige, that's a very hard one. And yet we still have to try to help ourselves and help others. Um, this was really at the cornerstone of Srila Bhakti Siddhanta, Sarasvati Thakur's Prabhupada's mission of, um, he said, you're not qualified to pretend to do bhajan in a room. You're qualified to serve Nam Sankirtan. You go out and serve Nam Sankirtan. Um, you're not qualified to just pretend to be, a, or I'll be a pure devotee and then I'll help and start. Um, and then just the idea of, this the, the mood of what is a kanda guru and uh, uh, being able to take shelter of multiple people that one is inspired by. I mean, we're doing it anyway on YouTube. Who Anyone who's listened to many lectures of different personalities and been inspired, I have. Uh, it's great. And so the idea is, but another point is that um, Arshila Bhakti Vedanta Trivikram Goswami Maharaj, when he was approached by someone who was inspired by our Gurudev, Shri Narayan Goswami Maharaj, but was a disciple of Shri Prabhupada, they asked him, like, how do I understand the different roles and different levels of guru and shikshan diction? He said, guru is one. And then he said again, guru is one. And so if we can try to like zoom out a little bit and understand who is Lord Nityananda, who is Mahaprabhu, what have they come to give? How can we take this in our own life, relish this Gora Prem, embrace and take on Harinam Sankirtan and boldly go out and distribute as servants of Lord Nityananda Prabhu? And, and take up that, you know, torch 
of his service and that giving up all false ego, it's, it's a form of giving up a false ego to just unabashedly go out and distribute the message as it is. We don't need to concoct or create anything. We just unabashedly, unfiltered, give it as it is according to our, you know, following and our understanding. That's fine. But really just to appreciate Lord Nityananda and Mahaprabhu and our Guru Varga and this glorious, glorious tradition, have faith in our faith and practice sincerely and see the results that they will they will come and 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 Prabhupada and our guru Maharaj and our guru varga they all wanted us to advance they said i don't want you to stay in the same place stagnant in bhakti make advancement and so that's our responsibility and that's um, our responsibility to encourage and therefore we must take sadhu sangha sadhu sangha is necessary in every stage of bhakti and sadhu sangha means try to find some kind of higher association or guidance and follow in that. And in doing so, you can also take responsibility for others as a connection to this unbroken parampara, which is ultimately Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's and our entire Guru Varga's property. And we are not gurus. We are simply das and das and das. Mahaprabhu never said, he said, Amaragya Guru Hoy, on my order be guru. But what is his more deep fundamental understanding? That Britta Britta Paricharaka Britta 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 Siti Mangspada Loknath. I'm the servant of the servant of the servant of the servant of the servant. That's Guru Parampara. Because a guru with no guru is no guru. And so a guru is always das. And if we can be das, truly, genuinely disciple, then we can also bring others to our lineage. Why not? Awesome. I, I just wanted to highlight a comment here, a kind of dumbfounded about the topic, but Prabhu's in a future podcast. Can you discuss why you believe it's okay to banish those who believe in the Ritvik method? I can mention this in a second if we want. Well, the negative outlook is generally there towards Ritvik. That's a good I did, I did want to mention a point in this regard when we were talking about um, Radhakun, certain Babaji sects, and others. Um, Bhaktivinoda Thakur talks in his Society of Sri Gauranga article, Gauranga Samaj, that it's necessary and important to have a basic um, harmony of understanding of essential Siddhanta. And so those who say Bhagavad Parampara is illegitimate, um, Lord Nityananda Prabhu is not Guru Tattva, certain things are actually deal breakers. Um, now they're not deal breakers, deal breakers. You can still be friends, you can still respect and appreciate, but certain things are where we say, you know, like I'll give you an example of Mahaprabhu. And I'm not criticizing Ritviks in this particularly. I'm just saying that sometimes it is necessary to understand the core um, precepts. And Bhaktivinoda Thakur says, without this um, internal harmony, it will be very hard to maintain cohesive spirits of one Chaitanya family. And so um, it's not to say Vasudeva Kutumbakam doesn't, isn't reality. Everyone is Vasudeva Kutumbakam. And there's a thing I read this morning. He, our Guru Maharaj said, to artificially pretend to be an Uta Mahabhagava and not discriminate is an aparat. Sometimes as a Madden, you must discriminate. And so the point is that um, just in that kind of sentiment that there is, and we haven't talked about other things and there's a lot of detail and subtlety around it. I'm not trying to paint one side or the other, but ultimately to protect our own spiritual life, we can't become so universalist that we lose identity. We are universalists, but it's universalist by having an identity. Then we can connect to the Supreme. It's a tinta bade abade, not just abade. First comes bade. And that means we have a distinct identity and fealty to an essential conception. And if we, find, if we hear too much operat against that, it can destabilize the entire thing. 
Mm. And so it's, it's a very, that could be a whole other 10 podcasts. Yeah, yeah, it can. Yeah, sure. the points. I'm just saying that there are certain things that we understand by our Guru Varga to be so important. And it's, there's a, this is, unfortunately, this is one of the things that people use against different groups. Yeah. And, and so that happens and there needs to be deepening of, of conversations, understandings. It's not like no one's welcome at the table. Everyone should have, you can have a conversation with everyone. But not all. But you can't have a conversation with most Ridviks. That's the point. That they're so contentious. That's the problem. If you didn't yeah. have a problem with everybody else's approach, there wouldn't be such a problem with your approach. Even though philosophically we might be able to find one quite easily. Yeah. If Prabhupada's enough for you, I'm not here to tell you that you shouldn't feel that way. But if you start coming at me in my relationship with my spiritual master or somebody else's, and as Jai said, leave try to leave somebody stranded with faith nowhere that's when there's an issue and, and that's a really great point and just sorry in 20 seconds just to mention something that <laughs> 20 we seconds too long seeing 20 seconds <laughs> if a whole like ideology is based on the principle of, of criticizing others then that's a warning sign to not associate as much and so this this is a very important principle so it's not so much um uh dave Madhavu, to your point it's like it's the constant um constant tenacity in like this bulldog mentality of criticize 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 everyone is bogus but me and if someone's always like that then it's like haribo good for you You're a, a, a theology about love should be naturally all attractive we're worshiping the all attractive one and if it requires um aggressive critical proselytizing and it's not all attractive by its own nature then it's a questionable theological belief Awesome. All right. I think we went on there. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Prabhus, for joining me. I am just in awe of you guys. I, I, I think you all have so much to offer. And this is the next generation looks really bright. Um, and uh, thank you for Tulsi for joining briefly. The, the boys, uh, some woke up. So uh, she's, you know, doing that. And uh, we'll turn <laughs> off the live. And thank you, everyone, for joining. Please like and subscribe. The Late Morning Program, number one Hare Krishna podcast in the world. Hare Ball. Stay on, guys. Oh, okay. Krishna, Hare Krishna, 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 Hare Hare.